Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, everybody. Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> Jacob? How are you? Man, Mike's so awkward on this podcast. Oh, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm excited. I switched it up. I went to I Michael thought you kidding. I thought you were kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't ready, he man. He faked me out. He, he, he wasn't ready. The old Pikester. We got the, we got the armadillo, Michael Pike. The diller. And now we have Andrew. We oh, actually yeah, came we, up with Andrew's nickname. Yeah. Andrew's nickname is? The Wizard. The Wizard. The Wizard. Which, y'all if you're, understand If you're a long-time why. listener, you understand that the, the Wizard is the deer that got killed last year. Yep. So I'm named after a dead deer. But but well, you're, you're the mapping I, wizard. I took the name away from the wizard that got killed. Yeah, we, now you're the wizard. And y'all understand why, especially if you see any of this stuff in the future. They will. They will one day. Make sure you join the Patreon. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, so let's huh? jump into this. We don't have an interviewee this week. We're doing one, just three of us. It's been the first time in a while we've oh, done one like this. Super long time. Long time. First one this deer season for sure. Um, well, no, we had we had the very first episode that was like oh early. yeah, oh, yeah. So it's been since like May since we've done this. I ain't got too good a memory. All right, even though he was trying to say he knew what the weather was on a certain <laughs> day in 2015. No, <laughs> <Yeah>. November. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a hot November sixteenth. No, it was November sixth. Was quartering south November? southeast. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. right anyways, it, I can it, remember the importance. It, it plays a factor into what we're about. I to mean, I don't about. remember what I had for breakfast. So, what, what's the topic for this podcast? What, what are we doing? So, we're talking about uh, something very interesting. Something that I've been wanting to get my hands on for, for several years. Several years. Uh, when I was at Auburn University, I learned of a study they did with 33 white-tailed deer in the state of Alabama. Uh, some of them were on two WMAs. Some of them were on two Westervelt properties. So, so two be on public land, or two, you know, two sets of them, or half of them on public land, half on private private hunting clubs. Yes, uh, these Westervelt leases. It's a it's a really large property. It's very similar to a WMA, but it's broken up into several different hunting clubs. Really, pressure wise, it's probably pretty comparable to a WMA, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't I don't really see a ton of difference between the two of them. But anyways, uh, so there's four different properties, 33 deer, GPS collared. Um, we were talking about doing some more like biology related or talking to biologists. So I reached out to like an old professor at Auburn, and I was like, Hey, can you point me to this study? Because uh, me and my friend Mark Turner had talked about it before. And I was just like, man, if I could get my hands on those GPS points, <laughs> that would be like, I'd be like kid in a candy store. So I reached out to him uh, and he sent me the papers. I'm like, hey, I just want to read the papers that you got out of these studies and see what y'all learned uh, and maybe line up some future interviews, which we'll probably still do. Mm-hmm. And I read the paper and there's a part in the paper where it, it had the data linked. I was like, huh, what's that? And so I click on it and there's the data, like free to use for anybody. 
Um, so it, it comes in a certain format. It's kind of hard to use. You, you really have to know a lot about GIS to be able to use it. Yeah, both me, both myself, Jacob, the old ginger bowhunter, and then Michael Pike, the old armadillo, <laughs> definitely could not do this. So that's why Andrew has gotten the name <clears throat> the wizard is because he's a little mapping wizard. So you, you take this, these data points and plug them into the system. And next thing we know, we're looking at an aerial map right now of all these pins of two years worth of data from each one of these bucks. So every one of these deer was collared for two years straight unless they died. Um, and they were, I think they were, the collar pings their location every three and a half hours in the off season and every hour during deer season. So the interesting thing is the, the study was supposed to look at basically just their home ranges. So you, you look at all these points and we're sitting here looking at them right now, uh, for one of these private land parcels. And we've got like seven bucks in this one area and there's just thousands and thousands of points all over each other. And they're color-coded, uh, made them color-coded for all the different bucks. And what they were looking at is the the home range of that deer and where he spent most of his time. But then they were also looking at when they left their home range, what that looked like, how far they went, um, how often they went, uh, the velocity they traveled, all kinds of stuff. It's a really, really interesting paper. Um, but as we talked about with Dr. Chamberlain in turkey season with these, with these GPS studies, there's so much that you can pull out of this. It is ridiculous. And they, they only had time to do that one thing, and that's what they did their paper on. And it's an excellent paper. I'm not a scientist, like, to, to that level or whatever. To that so, level, to any level. Get, <laughs> don't give yourself too much credit now. <laughs> hey, I have a Bachelor yeah. of Science. <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but I looked over the papers. I'm like, okay, dude, just show me some pictures. Dude, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I, dude, I, I was reading it. I was, I was reading this. I was like, dude, I feel so dumb right now. Man, I had to read so many of those <laughs> in college, man. That's that's a lot of my classes were reading that stuff. Oh, it's so, terrible. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, so that's what they look at. And um, there's a lot of stuff there that, as Dr. Chamberlain said, you can quote-unquote tease out of the data. So there's a lot there that they just never even touched, whether it wasn't part of their study, they didn't think about it, they don't want to, they whatever. Don't, they don't have the time to research. They don't, they don't have the time. That's what me and Mike were talking about. If you're looking at, at that one specific thing – for all of these deer, I mean, it, it takes years to go through this stuff for that one subject. And they do it in a very concise, scientific way. And in that paper, a large part of that paper, which is why it's difficult to read, like any scientific paper, you're explaining your method and, and how you did it and why you did it that way. Basically, like, proving, like, hey, I didn't just pull this out of nowhere. This is exactly what I did and why I did it, and here's the math behind it. Um, we're not going to do that because we're just kind of – just looking at it from I don't know regular guys' perspective. Yeah, we're coming at a this hunter's from perspective. a hunter's perspective versus you know you know kind of scientific. And that and that's the thing. That's one thing I've talked to Mark a lot about is with a lot of these studies, a lot of these researchers they don't they're just not going to look at things the same way that we do. Uh, not because like of anything other than they're looking at it for different reasons than we are. So they're looking at whitetail deer biologists biology for. Uh, to learn about the actual species, whereas we're looking at this to learn about how to kill these deer, you know. Um, so they're not going to look at stuff like, you know, are they using this saddle? Are they using this transition? Are they bedding in the same spot every day? Are they using a specific wind? What's their home range look like? What are their travel routes? All these questions that we can look at. Um, so I was able to pull this data in and, and do a bunch of, like, complicated GIS stuff to it to, like, visualize it and do time lapses and I, dude, we haven't even scratched the surface. Oh yeah, we have not. This will take weeks. Well, weeks to go through. So I'm going to interject here, like about our future guest. 
this opens your eyes to like oh. how extensive this research is like and y'all eventually figure it out um mm-hmm. there's so much potential for these studies like for the hunter yeah you just have to break it down and you have to have the time to break it down and that's the thing um <clears throat> if we were looking at this in like a scientific way we wouldn't do it the way that we're doing it we wouldn't put him like hey let's look at this buck in november and look at where he went and when it was daytime and when it was nighttime we wouldn't necessarily do that you would you would come up with like a problem or a question you're trying to answer and you'd work towards that question whereas we're just we're throwing it on there and like let's just see what it does and like make our own assumptions based off of it mm-hmm. um so that's what we've been doing i mean and <laughs> it's pretty interesting stuff so far yeah, well we gotta talk about this so when he sent over that that paper and I was looking at it too and I was, you know, reading it, reading it and everything, I was like, okay, you know, this is kind of cool but I didn't really see anything of like crazy value because again, not coming from like the data science background and next thing I know, I'm just like at work, I get text message, I look down our group message and Andrew's like, oh my God and it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a map, it's an aerial map like looks like from like Google Earth and it has these pins on there. He's like, I'm freaking out guys. I'm so, I'm like, he's, he's like, he's like, I'm freaking out guys. Oh my gosh. And that's when you kind of like learned how you, or you kind of like saw how you could put everything into like a, you know, more like usable kind of, uh, I guess, format so we can actually visualize everything. And we started looking at this and I'm like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. So we have two years of data on each one of these bucks, you know, yep. as long as they didn't get killed. And looking at their whole, their home range, but not only their home range, but their core area, like their daytime. And Mike, we're going to talk about this. Yeah. Their oh, daytime yeah. core area that they're spending time in and how much that differs between the months because dude, it was freaking eye opening from some of the deer that we looked at. Yeah. Which it we is primarily wild. looked at two so far. So <clears throat> like this is, this is like what I do. I mean, my degree at Auburn, the name of it is geospatial and environmental informatics, which is this, it is data science with the geospatial aspect to it. It is wizardry. <laughs> it, is, it is a degree in wizardry. Man, I always tell people I love the name of my degree because it makes me sound so, so much smarter than I really am. <laughs> I'm like, oh, geospatial environmental informatics. They're like, whoa. <laughs> Science. He's over here doing programming on the back end and I'm just over here like, just show me a picture. <laughs> <laughs> so, so me, me just, and Michael like, let's see that picture book, baby. Let's, yeah, like, boy. Like, you put those codes in some picture books and let's get to it. Yeah, man. You need to know a little bit of GIS, a little bit of SQL. A little bit of Python, maybe. Oh, Some well. people understand what I just said. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that that's why I'm so excited about this, dude. Because that, I mean, that's this is like literally directly applicable to my degree. So, uh, so, so, well, let's so talk- I know how to do it. Like, I know how to break it down in like a logical way and visualize it in a way that is interesting. Well, let's talk a little bit about it, like kind of like some of the things that we've noticed so far after looking at this. And I think we might do more updates in this in like future outros as well um, of like some more things that we've kind of This will be like videos or something that you'll be able to get your hands on down the line. Yeah. Uh, Because we got to like, we're going to do some stuff with it, but it's going to take some time. Yeah, absolutely. But like. So I kind of here a little late, and you know, Andrew had been sending some stuff over to me, and I had sent some stuff. I've been, I've been talking to old Doug White, old PK, you know, like once a day for the last two weeks, and uh, we were talking about this and the data points and everything, and also like the future guest Mike, and uh, kind of how we were so excited about it. And uh, we were talking about the GPS collar studies, and Andrew started sending me these maps of like, man, hey, check out this buck. Look where this buck's like spending time at, and like one of the deer on one piece of the public land, and we're going to talk about this and we'll kind of break it down, but like one of the bucks. It's like, you know, last week's episode, 
Mike, you talked about how, you know, these intersections, you know, where you have a road that splits could be a spot that not only would be a good spot to hunt because the deer just don't get pressure there because nobody, you're like your psychology of your mind, you hit an intersection, you're, down, you're going left or right, or you're going straight, whatever, you know, it could be a four-way stop or it could be a full, just a, a wide intersection. And in one of these, one of these bucks, he was hugging right inside one of those little intersections, dude. Like that oh was that was his little spot. Twelve yeah. yards off the road. That yeah. was his little spot during the daylight, daylight movement. Bed. Daylight bed, dude, <laughs> right there. And it's like spot on, Mike. Good yeah. job. Yeah. Yeah. Also, speaking about that as well, when I was talking to PK, and I know he's probably listening right now, but uh, when I was talking to him, he's like, dude, when Mike mentioned about the whole you know intersections, he's like, man, I got chills thinking about it. <laughs> he's like, man, a spot came to mind, and I'm like, that's what I'm talking yes, about, sir. dude. But um. Also, so we kind of like, you know, we had this like, you just made like some general maps of points and I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then I get over here and the next thing we know, you're like, dude, check this out. And we're going through like time frame day and like through like the whole month, like November and like daylight movement versus day- nighttime movement yep. and how much they shift in the core areas. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's called the temporal attribute right there. Temporal equals time. So there's so many different variables that we can kind of plug and play with this like it's going to take so much time but like i mean you have to think like the time of the year um <laughs> i don't even know where's where to go from there i'm I just do. like weather, it's just, wind directions time of year well yeah not even weather related but like you know what's happening from month to month are, are the changes in bedding locations like leaf split on, ups leaf, leaf off. on yep, leaf. yeah yep. uh you have the rut like where are they moving to the rut like are they trying to intersect does at certain locations like are they trying to monitor access for hunters like we're we're, we're noticing like hey this d- buck didn't move as much this day was it a you know a day where they had a gun hunt like you know, we're, mm-hmm. there's so much stuff going on here. To play into it. But, Andrew, I've got to ask you, since you've been, like, you know, wasting away. You know, hopefully your employee doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but Andrew told me, he's like, dude, I haven't worked the last three days at, at the office because I've been doing this the whole time. Yeah, that's exaggerating. All right, Andrew's boss, I don't know his name or her name or whoever's name, but, you know, if you're listening out there, he does a great job. Like, <laughs> he gets his stuff done. But I've gotten all my work done. So let's talk a little bit about it. So when you started like figuring this stuff out and you saw what was there, kind of what was some of the first things that caught your eye right off the bat that you're like, you know, this is, there's something to this. Uh, so I've really, we've only looked at two bucks, like in depth, really looked at two, bucks, and we haven't even looked at everything about those deer. Yeah. Not even we've close. looked at a very small subset of like what those deer actually are doing. The first one, um, is the one that we were looking at time lapse feature. So, and we have it set up where um, basically there's a point, and for every hour of every day for the month of November, that point moves and it shows you like where he goes. And if it's daytime, the point's yellow. If it's nighttime, the point's blue. Um, and so you get to watch where he goes, and you know, he's here in the daytime, and then uh, and then he moves over here in the nighttime, then he's down here, and then he's over there, and then he's over there, and then he's over there, and then bam, he's he's in a little daytime spot, and he stays there all day. The first thing that jumped out at me was the whole notion of, yeah, they, they get in their bedding area. Now, this, now, what? Let me preface this. This is one deer, okay? So this is just this one buck. So this could be totally wrong. He could be an outlier. We don't know. But just looking at this one deer, it's just cool to look at, where it's like, if you wanted to kill that deer... You, the only way you're going to do it is if you walk in there and freaking spear him because he's laying in a little thicket and he's getting in there before daylight and he is truly not leaving till after dark and he's not getting up and walking around. Yeah, like his area he's saying is like, well, like 
a tenth of an acre, I think, is like one yeah, of the spots. Zero point one seven acres. Okay, that's the spot. Less than a quarter acre. So I mean, he's getting up. He's in a room this size all day, and he maybe he gets up and he like shifts his weight, or maybe he walks five steps over here, but he's not coming out of that thick cover at all during the daytime for most days in November. There's which that's before the rut here. That's like very early season for us in that specific. This is a South Alabama property, mid January, late January rut. It he doesn't come out of it. There's maybe five days in all of November that he legitimately traveled in a place where you could kill him uh, during daylight hours. So that's the first thing that jumped out. And it out was of a me. short yeah. window too when he was in those, mm-hmm. one of those spots when he was moving. Yeah. Uh, probably. The the single biggest thing that I noticed right off the bat is everything you've always heard about bedding locations as far as like the top one third, especially for or I guess more specifically like, for this deer. Simplify it just a little bit. What do you mean by top one third? Like explain it to listeners that like if if it's a new guy listening or like newer hunter, what do you mean by top one third? Like yeah, explain so, the, the premise of that. So most of the time, you know, you have a military crest, which is usually like that top one third location. And what that military crest is is like pretend like you're on top of the hill like it's very very gradual drop and then all of a sudden there's a point along the ridge like going down in elevation where especially like your top of lines they start stacking up and that's where it gets really steep all of a sudden and that's where a lot of times you'll find a major trail where the bedding locations you would think it would be like on a secondary point or something like that um that's not what we're finding i would say probably what do we, what do you think for this deer right here? Do you think like seventy five percent of the time he's bedded in a draw? Oh yeah, easily. Yeah, easily. Seventy five seventy five percent or greater, he's bedded in a draw, in the, and, in the and, bottom and, of the draw. Yeah, and a lot of these draws are located or connecting to a saddle, which is one thing I think one out of four bedding locations for this buck. You know, like the ones that are really concentrated, he visited over and over again. Um, it it was all connected to a saddle. Yeah, and we were able to create a heat map of where he is. So at the same time that this little point is zooming around the map, showing where he moves, every time he visits a location, that spot gets a little hotter. So there's a heat map underneath it as well. And so uh, it really helps you see which spots he's favoring and how that changes throughout the month as we're going through November. And we also did this with the other deer for January uh, and October, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can see that... At the beginning of the month, he's, like, really hanging out in these two spots. And, yeah, you're exactly right. It's a saddle that drops down. There's, like, a, a little drainage that comes out of the saddle, and he's sitting right in the bottom of it. Yep. Not not at the bottom where it meets the main creek drainage, but he's somewhere up in it. And he's just smack right in the middle of it most of the time, Yeah, which is really interesting. Uh, the other thing that I noticed right off the bat uh, was the, the first particular deer that we looked at. Uh, he spent a lot of his nighttime on one ridge um mm-hmm. I, and i assume feeding around bedding and such yeah. um probably some feed trees he didn't spend quite as much time in the in that you know bottom he was like mostly up on the ridges during the night yeah and uh and another thing we did was with that particular deer which we'll get to the rut in a minute because the rut's a lot different than this um but another thing he did was we I, I trace the lines between all those points. So between every single point, there's a line drawn. So you see every line of travel he had in that whole month. And it is an oval north to south. And, it, I mean, it's so uniform. I mean, obviously, it's, like, kind of squiggly and everything. But, I mean, it's obviously an oval. Mm-hmm. 
and he's running down the side of the drainage, swinging through the top side of a thermal hub, and then coming back. And he's just cutting through saddles, and he's he's making his round every night. Sometimes he goes clockwise, sometimes he goes counterclockwise, and uh, and especially in November. He's not using the same bed, I don't think. I mean, maybe in one or two spots, he's maybe getting in the same bed. But he's like, he'll hit this bedding area, and then he'll hit that one, and then he'll hit this one two nights in a row, and then a different one, and then go back to that one. And uh, it's it's more consistent than I thought it would be. I'll tell you another thing. Uh, the proximity to access, which <laughs> is something we've been really just pounding here lately. Yeah. But, oh, I dude. mean, this just backs it up 100%. Like, can, these can, deer. Can you pull that, de- that deer? Yeah, let me while, pull while them up. up. And my, almost yeah. almost all of these locations, I would say, how far do you think for most of the access? Oh, I'll, I'll like, show you in a second. I measured it the Less than day. 50 yards. got to be. You, don't you oh, think? Oh, yeah. The yeah. furthest he bedded from a road is not 200 yards. I guarantee it. So if you look, so we're looking at the map right now. The, this is definite so, so bedding. This is the furthest bedding point audio from show, a road. Audio okay. show, guys. I know. I'm showing Jacob and Michael this. Um so we're I'm, I'm measuring this right now. So here's the road, probably not a drivable road, but it's a walkable road. 177 yards. That's the furthest yeah. he bedded from like obvious bedding points. Which obviously I don't know if this deer was actually bedded from these points, but when there's a cluster of daylight points and he was there for eight hours all during daylight in a row and never moved, I'm assuming he was bedded there. Mm-hmm. So that's how we kind of got this. So we have one, two, three, four, five. Uh, different six pretty six. consistent beds yeah um this one right here yeah this yeah that, a, that hub right there yeah, yeah. like measure that one and <laughs> it's then like that's like that's not like 18, 20 20 uh, yards 18 yards here we yeah. go watch this here we go here we go let's see 51 yards I, I, okay. man y'all suck I, okay listen you know i i, I did a little of a, a little <laughs> andrew maxwell yardage there you go 32 yards from a road right there that's that's the third location yeah. So we have 160 oh, no. something come, yards, come 50 yards. Well, see, and you look at this. Here's a road. So here, here's one of his main hubs, his second favorite hub based on the heat map. Yeah. Okay. You have a road that cut that really makes a Y right here, just a hard bend that makes a Y. But look at this. Here's a fire break coming off. This is a bedding location. And then another fire break. This bed, this bed is 20 yards off that fire break. Then I'm sure people yeah. walk. You know, if anybody drives down that road, and uh, and I mean, look, 56 yards. From the road, forty-four yards from the other side of the road. So I mean, he's sandwiched he, in between these two roads. He's right in a little intersection right there. Yeah, right in the Y, yeah. and he's he's less than sixty-five yards from the road. Now another thing. So I, I want to talk about this, like what we've visually seen and how that affects us, and kind of like the way we look at it. Versus for this month, and then I'm going to talk about the rut, okay? Because the rut's a little bit different. Yeah. But this deer, from everything we looked at, this specific buck, and again, this is you know, and um, it's very just. One side, small sample size. Yeah, small sample size. But it's just fascinating to see how this buck, you know, moves throughout this habitat in this area. Because during the daylight move in the month of November, which our season in Alabama for all of our listeners out there starts uh, October fifteenth in most of the state. There's a couple areas that open October first, but in this area it opens October fifteenth. And with that being said, opening October fifteenth in the month of November, you know, especially early November, we still have leaves on. Leaves kind of come off mm-hmm. mid to late November, and with this buck how much time he is spending in these one little spots for you to kill him during daylight hours in the month of November, you have to be within, I mean, 50 yards of his bed. I mean, if that, and to be honest, I mean, the, the, the opportunity, and I talked to PK about this before the episode, I wish kind of, we should have phoned him in on this episode. Um, but 
the, the likelihood you're going to get close enough to kill him at this point in the season without bumping him because of the swirling winds, because he's betting in areas he's going to have some kind of swirling wind in these little drainages with thermals and do this, the different air currents. It's going to make it very, very challenging to kill him right outside one of these little bedding areas. And, the, and the, the the length of time that he actually spends outside these areas during daylight hours is slim to none. I think on the 5th, he made one slight excursion that was a couple hundred yards long where he kind of ran south right there to that little cutover. But other than that, I mean, he's in his little spot, dude, and there's like physically not much of a way to kill him unless, Mike, which you had talked about earlier, possibly, you know, what was, you, what was your thinking like after like seeing this – for this specific buck, kind of like how that might change now your kind of perspective. I mean, if I was going to be hunting this buck um, early season in these specific locations, about the only way I think you could do it is if you were on the ground in a draw well before daylight, well before daylight, and you just happened to be in the correct one that he was he was positioned in. What do you think? Yeah, I mean – if that would work, the problem is I think he's because he's getting back so early. I think if a lot of times in a lot of these situations he's getting back around the fringe of that little bedding spot, and I feel like it's going to be so thick you're going to do. Oh, you're talking about on the the exit, getting well, on the other side of the saddle. Well, it, it, no, one of y'all talked about that earlier. I think Andrew was talking about like set up on the other side of the saddle. But what I'm saying is the likelihood you're going to try to kill this deer in like this early season time span, at least this one specific buck in November. Yeah. Is going to be so tough because he's not moving enough for you right. to really capitalize on a lot of movement. No. I mean, he's sticking to – and clearly you can tell there's got to be enough browse where he's bedded at that he could probably stand up and mill around within like a – probably a, a 20 – like a 20-square-foot – or not 20-square-foot, like a 20-wide – 20-foot-wide area where he's feeding and he can kind of mill around right there and then bed back down yeah. before it's dark and then move. Yeah. Um, another thing, too, is these are every hour or every – yeah. Every okay. hour. So every hour. So, you know, you do have a little bit of time in there where, you know, possibly he could move just close enough to the fringe to where if you were set up there at a, yeah. and, and basically had to, you'd probably have to sit all day and just hope that he didn't bust you sometime throughout the day. Yeah. Unless there's some <clears throat> kind of sneaky way, like. Well, this is hill country we're talking here. Well, you know, this is. The, the thing is, we're going to have to break this down more because you just brought up a really, really good point where there's some gray area here where another way that we need to break this down is we need to just take the points within like uh, two hours or whatever of legal shooting light, be it morning and evening, and see where he was, like, for instance, for an evening hunt, see where he was bedded during the daytime, and then see where he ends up an hour after dark. See what that next point is. And, and if you see that, you know, if connect the dots and yeah, because if he's laying in one of these little bedding areas and all of a sudden he's 300 yards away an hour after dark, he he got up and moved right for sure. Right. This podcast is supported by Hunting Exchange. In this day and age, we all know it is a struggle to sell hunting equipment on large social media platforms, and that's where Hunting Exchange steps in. Hunting Exchange is an app for iOS and Android built by Sears Hunters that gives you a one-stop shop to buy and sell your hunting gear. Whether you're looking to sell your bow, broadheads, technical apparel, stands or saddles, or anything in between, this secure platform allows you to buy and sell gear with confidence. As a buyer, each dollar you spend is insured by PayPal, and as a seller, there are no hidden charges like other platforms, and listing items is also free. Gone are the days of having listings removed from Facebook and worrying about being banned and removed from groups for wanting to sell something as simple as your bow 
or knives. So head on over to the App Store or Google Play and experience a new hassle-free way to buy and sell hunting gear by downloading the Hunting Exchange app today. Silence your setup and shave weight with the Hasmore Silent Seat. The Hasmore Silent Seat is a hammock-style seat designed to replace your climber's bulky factory seat. We all know how important it is to stay silent when you're moving in on that weary old buck in bow season. These seats are great for bow hunters. Not only do they make climbing quieter and easier, but the seat silently slides back when you stand to shoot. These are extremely comfortable and you will not miss your loud and bulky factory seat. Check out the link in the description or go to hasmore.net and use the code SO15 for 15% off. Georgia 2019, when y'all were hunting down in Georgia and y'all were catching buck kombu midday, how close do you think now, after looking at this, potentially you were to where that buck, those bucks were bedded? Right on top. Well, yeah. We, we talked about them being – and they were right off the road too um, mm-hmm. where you found the beds, right? Yep. yep. Were, they, were they between the two roads too or were they across both roads? They were in between them. Yeah. So yeah. another type of Y situation almost. Um, yeah. And, and the thing with this, um, when you look at it, I mean, there's some margin for error here. And this is definitely not – like the gospel because yeah, we're I, just getting to this information and just yeah, kind of looking over it's it. It's just so. this one deer so interesting where I think he's a good example of when they have the, when they truly have everything they need right there where they can bed his top two or three bedding spots. He, he did not have to leave during daylight. His, his very top bedding spot looks like a privet thicket. It's an SMZ that comes up, uh, and right at the head of that SMZ, it kind of bulbs out a little bit, almost like a little tiny crow's foot in a way. Um, but it kind of bulbs out. It's really steep right there, a lot of big drainage cuts from erosion, and he's bedding right there. It's a privet thicket. You can see the privet on the satellite image, but there's big oaks in it too. So he's laying in a thicket where there's acorns bumping him on the head probably during the day. Yeah, um, and all kinds of brows honeysuckle you name it so he truly does not have to leave that and that's one thing i noticed is when he did bed in that specific spot during the month of november he did hardly leave that spot during daylight some of these other spots where he's bedding more in the pines those were the areas where he was leaving a little bit more during daylight and i think that that location was later in the season wasn't it i think so uh yeah he when started he was bedding in the pines that was like Closer to the rut, like he mm-hmm. and it, once you get into the rut, that Joe Cruz. Oh, we're we're, we're going to get there. We're going to yeah, get there. Yeah, we're yeah, really, I know, really jumping interested. ahead, but dang, Mike. Well, it just goes to show, man, like, you know, kind of disciples of, of like deer hunting media over the last couple of years where we've like really taken in some of this stuff and really, really tried it, you know, leeward points and, and bedding. And like, I mean, the beds are there, but for one, you don't know what time they're being used or yeah. what's using them, you know. Exactly. So, Whereas. One thing, sorry to interrupt, but one thing about this and kind of his bedding locations, if you went in and found one of his beds and not like say all five or six of them, right. if you went in and hunted one of them, the likelihood, because the way the beds lay out in this spot, they're all around pretty much kind of big landscape, like a big thermal hub or like actually maybe like two thermal hubs. And if you go into any one spot and go in there and there's a bad wind, he's probably going to smell you from one of the other beds and probably you, you just will not see that deer. Like the likelihood, I think you go in there and hunt one of those beds, if you don't time it right and get super lucky and get him coming back to that one bed and get him coming from, again, crosswind or upwind from you, I feel like you're going to educate that deer so much. At least this, at least this, this specific buck in this situation, because of way he, the way he beds and where he's located at, it's going to be so tricky getting in on him. 
Well, I, you're also only looking at it from one perspective, though, because, yeah, you see all these beds are, are super concentrated, but the other thing that's concentrated is he's all over a food plot, and he's all over this hardwood drainage where he's there almost every single night, and he's he's eating. And he's not that far from the bed, so he could absolutely be getting up before daylight and going in there. So, I mean, yeah, you look at the bed, and you're like, oh, my gosh, how could you ever kill that thing? But, I mean, if he moves 100 yards in daylight, you you very well could get in there and kill him. Yeah. Uh, the terrain does lay out good enough, especially the. But the key would be mm. if you're really trying to kill this deer, you know, knowing where those beds are, but also knowing where the food is. And I mean, obviously, like basic deer hunting, get between the bed and the food. This really kind of hashes that out because most of the time, especially if you look at the nighttime feed map or a heat map, he's always in this food plot right here, and he's always in this bottom right here. Let me. I got, I got, I just got, I got to hop on and, and say this. If you guys did not see the pins and you were looking at this map, me personally, I'll talk about myself, where he's betting, I would not, maybe one of the beds, this bed right here, I could possibly guess, and maybe this one here. The other ones, I don't think I would, I would guess looking at the map. I'd never guess. Like, you yeah. just, you're looking at it, you're like, there's no way, dude. There's no way. So he's betting in spots that you might would say is overlooked, and he's using the habitat, like, He's being so much closer to access, which is kind of crazy. Um, and, and just the way that deer's laying out in these spots, in these little thermal hubs, where, like, if you walk that road, especially in the evenings, in the following thermals, there's a good chance he's going to smell you. If there's any kind of cross one, he's probably going to smell you. If there's any kind of wind, you're walking those roads, he's going to smell you probably. Yeah. He's going to hear you. He's got so many things going for him in those spots. How in the – this in this situation, you know, all these deer are a little bit different. How in the hell are you going to kill that buck yeah. in the month of November? Uh, but we're, but we're going to get to when you can kill I, th- I think you're overcomplicating it. Oh, maybe I am. Because do people kill – people yeah. kill nice bucks in October and November in Alabama every single year. And I'll talk, I'll ask people, you know, they'll kill a nice buck. And it'll be way early season. I'm like, how'd you kill him? And they'll be like, white oak acorns. Yep. Uh, that's all there is to that's, it, man. That's so, the only times that I've had bucks come in was when they were feeding on wild. Because, eggs. again, if he's if he's bedding, like, in these two spots and this spot right here, again, so we're, what we're looking at is basically a thermal hub, and three of his four or three of his, like, six or seven main little bedding areas kind of surround this little thermal hub. It's pretty and good if he's, yeah. And if he's eating acorns down there, I mean, absolutely, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer. But. But, listen, it's different when you're hunting a deer. Like, we're looking at a deer that has a collar on it. If you didn't have a deer that had a collar on it, one thing that does get my attention there is that transition line that runs north to south in that one spot that looks really, really good. And maybe coming in from that row, there's a row that runs north to south right there, coming in and kind of jumping west and, like, getting down to that transition line. But you're walking past potentially one of his beds right there. You know, you have to walk past one of his bedding areas and then get very close to two other ones that's just off to the east of that spot. If there's one takeaway, yep. one major takeaway, that is you better be scouting these drainages. Like, got, especially yeah, if they've absolutely. got thick cover, and especially if they're close to access. If you can find your, your drainage that where they can be pretty close to your access, that is a ticket. As long as there's good cover there, I would go in and definitely scout those areas because what I'm seeing here is just blowing my mind. Well, yeah, and this this particular deer, you know, kind of, I mean, one of, like, the little theories I've had is that, like, yeah, deer learn and they can get smart, but the deer that get older are the ones that happen to, like, live in the good areas, I think. Because this deer right here, if you took this map and turned it upside down, and it was easier for people to get to this thermal hub with all these where he's always eating, if it was easy for them to access, 
that he'd get killed at you know uh, immediately right as soon as he had antlers on his head you know barring antler point restrictions and i mean you're only looking at one deer right here i mean there could be deer in every single one of these drainages and if you're coming in from one side you bust one deer bust the other one too like yeah because i mean with him you know you wait for a day with that's mostly thermal controlled and you come in from the north and just come straight down south to him and get in that hub you got a pretty good chance of yeah. killing him uh so I, don't, I don't think that it's nearly as like as gloomy as we're making it out to yeah. be but just be aware that these deer are really, they're not moving around a lot well, during the day. Also, we're going to look at a couple other deer that we've looked at so far, and they're bedding in similar spots. As in, like, similar, close to access, close mm-hmm. to kind of these overlooked spots. It's, you know, Mike, you talked about this in the last outro, about, like, how much you like to focus on these overlooked spots, okay? And, you know, when we talked to PK about when he's hunting properties that aren't very close to him. He doesn't look at overlooked spots because the problem is a lot of those overlooked spots, you have to put boots on the ground to confirm versus a lot of these other spots that you can kind of go in and kind of just go off the sign. But per what we're seeing so far, a lot of these books are really close to access. Um, and they're in spots that again, I'm looking at the map and I'm not thinking of when I'm looking at bedding areas, I'm, I'd miss at least four of the six. Right. From what he's looking at. Yeah. Right yeah. You know, in the month of November. Now, um, also, let me ask for both of you guys, this based off like what this deer is doing, and also we're going to talk about some other deer in, in, in just a little bit, but in early season like this, how does it possibly change your perspective a little bit when it comes to early season approach, like archery season, before gun, before gun comes in? Because even in November, you know, our rifle season comes in normally like late November, mid to late November. Third Saturday in November. So, that being said, even this buck's not – moving a whole bunch if there was an opening day or opening weekend gun hunt i mean if you're if you're hunting a specific buck like say this deer you'd be i think you'd be struggling a good bit yeah um i already know that i'd be changing up my tactics um you know normally when i'm hunting i'm looking at those secondary points that are dropping down to like white oaks near like creek bottom or something like that expecting him to drop down last minute to be honest I, i could be off by probably 200 yards um, because if he drops down in the drainage from the head of the drainage instead of off the point that's that's a pretty good gap that he's not going to a pretty good chance he's not going to make that little distance in that time in that Mm -hmm. time you know because if I'm set up you know 100 yards away from a point further down in the drainage and then he's up 200 300 yards up further at the head of the draw yeah. That's that's extra distance that he he's not going he's not yeah. going to get there. When you could you could have slipped in on him, but that conventional like conventional wisdom or whatever like oh he's on the point uh kind of screws you up in that situation. Exactly. It's like can hey, you got to look a little bit outside the box now. Yeah. And I yeah. think this now opens up my eyes too of like what to pay attention to because um you know in this situation you know, we talked about this a little bit, but he's betting a lot of times at the head of these drainages off the main ridge, okay? Yep. He's not off a point. He's at the head of a drainage that's dropping off, like, one of these main ridges, which is an interesting spot. Talking to PK, talking to Doug White earlier this week, I had brought that up to him, um, along with our guest for next week, um, talking about similar topics as well when we discussed this with him. But how these deer will bed a lot lower in elevation than a lot of people think because they can catch these swirling thermals and these wind currents all day long versus if they bed up high, yeah, they get, you know, that rising thermal and along with maybe that wind possibly over their back if they bed like that and have a little bit more visual. But when they're bedded down low and a little bit, a little bit thicker cover, 
but having those kind of uh, swirling thermals and wind currents right there, they can smell 360 degrees around them. And there's no way you can kind of ambush them. Plus, if you come up from above them, in some situations, they're probably going to hear you coming from a, from a distance uh, and possibly see you. And then if you're coming up from the bottom, again, you're going to have issues with swirling winds dr- uh, bringing up that draw as well. So, you know, he's bedded, they're bedded in, this. at least this specific buck is bedded in a dynamite spot or dynamite spots where it's like he's got everything working for him versus if he's just on a point where he maybe has more of a visual advantage and the wind to come out of the back, but you have an approach where you come from, you know, side wind or, you know, kind mm-hmm. of side hill to him. This situation, you can't really side hill to a buck that's down in a little drainage like that because right. the way the wind's going to come, come over and swirl down in there, I mean, he's going to smell you, dude, at some point. So it, it makes it very challenging, but that's the cool thing. It's like, dude, it's more of a cat and mouse game. Well, you got well. That's another thing too. Thinking about wind, uh, like looking at that. Like if I was gonna go try to kill him in November, I would specifically go in on like a cloudy day with no wind. That's the only day that you could like go in there. Because yeah, yeah, I mean, if the wind's blowing eight, ten miles per hour, it's gonna swirl. If you have a low light and variable day though, you're gonna come up from the bottom. Yeah, on a cloudy day. That's what I'm saying. Fallen yeah, thermals. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like you got to explain it to the listeners. Some of them might not be picking up what you're putting <laughs> down, man. Well, another thing too, it, especially we'll have to figure out. Majority oh. of the time, are they entering from the top of the ridge to yep. to go into their bed, or are they coming up from the bottom? Yep. Um, if you were coming up from the bottom, it would make a lot of sense, kind of because you know that that scent would be pulling at the bottom, and you'd be walking up into, you know that scent coming down from the head of the uh, draw as it drops. Yep. But uh, if they were coming up over the saddle into their bed, maybe even Jay hooking in, I don't know what they're doing. But um, if you were to be positioned before daylight, you got to think like a lot of times your, your ground is not heating up high enough to really get the thermals going until later in the morning. So you've got several hours where possibly if you're set up and the deer doesn't cross you, and you're set up lower than him, then you might have a good chance of, of mm-hmm. getting that buck in the morning time. But that would be, like, the only way. Yeah. I, I just – I see this, and it gets me even more excited for, like, the cat and, ma- the cat and mouse game, um, you know, in these spots because it kind of – it changes a couple things for me. Just, like, perspective. Again, you you're know – You're Mr. Ev- Damon Gloom over here. You're like, we'll never kill him. No, 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 he no. He doesn't move. No, no, but see, I like the challenge because, you know, with this specific buck – He's better raw off access. So, like, that's going to kind of change the way I think you have to approach the deer or approach a deer in this. If The thing is, this is one buck in this one spot. There could be five other bucks in this, like, one square mile area mm-hmm. that could be doing very similar things as him. And it would make sense because clearly, I, we don't know necessarily how old this buck was, but we have two years of, of data with him. Most likely, I'm going to guess he's at least two and a half years old, if not three and a half or older. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also a lot of the, the mapping that we're looking at is like last year. I think we have data uh, of this buck. So, you know, maybe he's, you know, three and a half, four and a half, five, year, five years old. I think there's a couple of deer that you talked yeah. about on here that are like that five, six Yeah, years they're, old. they're older. Um, we ha- I mean, we have two years of data on this one. So, I mean. And in two years, he, sta- dude, he stays in this one close. little spot. And to be honest, I'll tell you one thing. This opens up my eyes to, like, for the private land guys that have a small property. Like, dude, if you have good habitat on your property, you know, you hear about this talk about from, like, other people across the country, like, in these biology and stuff, good habitat, you're going to hold deer. But no joke, if you have good habitat and you don't pressure it super, super heavily and you hunt it smart, you can hold some freaking deer there, dude. Because mm-hmm. I mean, the core areas of these bucks, like, if you had a property, if you went to buy a property that had, like, the be- like the best-looking thermal hub, dude, on this property and maybe, like, some kind of like little bench, some other kind of features around their saddles, 
and you went there and managed that timber correctly, dude, you could have a big buck producing spot year after year on like a 30-acre piece. Or like a fifty acre piece. That's, that's definitely true. So this, I mean, it's it's just kind of cool, kind of seeing this and kind of how that buck's using it. But early season, it, it's challenging. I, I see like you know the food source is gonna be huge coming up from the bottom is gonna be huge. And again, it seems like if you're coming off on these roadways, you're gonna be bumping bucks. I mean, or he's he's gonna know you're there and he's slipping out the backside. I mean, one one thing, one of the last things I want to say about this particular buck in this particular spot and mm-hmm. in November is. When you look at this, like all this access he's bedded off of comes up from the south. Yep. There's more access to the north. If you just if you just access it from the north, your inc- your chances of killing him just dramatically jump up. With the right wind, absolutely. I mean, even yeah, I mean with the right wind, but I feel like we I feel like we get a little too scared with the wind sometimes because like yeah, it might be like a quartering wind or whatever and maybe he will smell you, maybe he doesn't. Uh, you're not going to kill them if you don't hunt it though. That's what I'm saying is I've talked to, and given, I know a lot of people uh, hunt in the rut and everything, but I mean, how many, t- how many bucks aren't killed because you just never went in there? Cause you're like, Oh, he'll win me. Well, this is going to go perfectly. And I'm sorry to interrupt this conversation, but this conversation is going to go perfectly until we look at January, which is kind of like that pre-rut time, like early January, that pre-rut and how much more that buck moves. So it's like hunting smarter instead of harder. And what I mean by that is nothing against like going and killing buck early, but maybe this isn't the right spot. Or, like, again, the problem is we know exactly what this buck did. It's different when you don't know what the deer are doing, <laughs> like every other situation. But we see what this buck does in November, and we're going to look at all these other bucks and see if it's similar kind of movement. But if a lot of the movement's very similar in November, it might change the game on kind of how I approach that versus how I'm going to approach December and January in these areas. Where, like, in January, this buck is cruising enough. He's covering ground. You can tell he's probably moving. He's checking scrapes. He's covering the ground. He's checking doe bedding areas. He's going to be a lot more killable with a bow or with a rifle in, in January than he's going to be in November because he's covering so much more ground. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But it just, it again, when we look at more of these data points with more of these bucks, it's going to give me a little bit more kind of perspective on how I'm going to approach November, like in Alabama, early season, which again, you know, some of these other states, if you're in the Midwest, it'd be like October for you. Okay. Or November for a lot of, you know, this place here, it'd be like hunting September kind of time frame wise because of how far the rut is from, um, from this point on. Yeah. It'd the, be, it'd be like the end of September to the first half of October would be yeah what we're talking about. Kind of like what we're seeing in like Tennessee you're, and some of these other states. You're not catching your summer pattern and you're not catching your rut. It's that in between. Yep. Yeah, and you're yeah. not catching that, even that pre-rut, really. Um, but, again, one thing also I noticed about this book is just, like, the habitat he's in. I mean, the yeah. habitat, when you look at the map, So dude, many edges. His edges is diverse. I mean, in this spot, dude, you're looking at the map. I'm like, it looks juicy. I'm looking at it, dude. It's got all kinds of fantastic, like, just different um, diversity and different edges, all these different break lines in this one spot. And he's using it all to his advantage. All to his advantage. Yeah. And the thing is, a lot of that great habitat is right on the road, dude. It's yeah. right on the road. And so. uh, and another thing, uh, whenever we're talking about these little draws, this is not like the typical SMZ like we're talking about typically. Yeah, Because that. those are more, more open. These are really choked out, or it appears to be. It yeah. look, I it, mean, they have a lot more cover than what yeah. we're – typically talking about yeah, it looks like a pine hardwood mix it looks like whenever that was cut they cut the whole thing like they didn't leave no s they didn't leave smz's in these little these little parcels at least where he's kind of bedded at it kind of looks like oh over here yeah the main ones? yeah no, they, they did leave an smz but it's it looks like some of the trees in there died 
mm. is what it is what it looks like. Because uh, there's some fallen trees. There there is still some big oak trees, but it's mainly privet underneath with like nothing else. So I, there's probably it's probably like a diseased stand or something like that, or just unhealthy. The soil uh, is like super eroded, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it. It's like he's on a little island right there. The way it kind of lays yeah. out, it looks like he's like sitting on a little island. In this in this one bedding spot, we're talking about everybody. Yeah, but um, I, I definitely don't want to again like. I don't want to paint too bleak of a picture because we're talking about like because Jacob's like you could don't even hunt them in you're, November. You're not even gonna kill them. Stay out the woods. So I can the go. The thing in the woods is, is that the thing is here is like if if someone who doesn't overthink deer hunting like we do walked into that bottom and came in from the right way and found rubs and feed sign and hunted it three times, I'd probably kill him. Like yeah. oh, uh, put it like when you put it that way, hey. we're like oh the wind at this trajectory during this day and that man you got again woodsmanship you know. If if some dude comes in and just walks into that stuff and finds the right sign and puts time into it, he'll probably kill that so, deer. Let's talk about that real quick, and then we, let's move on. Unless you have more to talk about this early season. In these areas, I agree with you. If you would spend time, not just one hunt, mm-hmm. but if you did either what Mike talked about and bumped that buck out of his bed and kind of knew kind of where you're standing based off scouting and everything else and all what the sign was, if you spent multiple days in a row in that spot, even early season, Depending on how you get in, clean entrance and exit, that's going to be a f- huge factor with this. Huge factor, clean entrance and exit, uh, getting to your spot. But like you said, you put in a couple days in this spot, there's a there's a pretty decent chance, good chance, that you're going to catch him slipping out yeah. uh, to feed in one of these little drainages yeah, as I, he comes down. One thing, so this deer survived that two years he had this collar on him. And again, we don't know what he looked like or anything. I, I'll be able to find out eventually, uh, but I don't know right now. But... Let's just assume he's a legal buck. I mean, he's probably a legal deer for this area. He's a and he's and he survived two years, you know. And what, the more I look at this, the more I think that that is just literally only because of where he happened to live. Because when you look at this, if you're accessing from the south, you're probably not going to kill him because you just like you said, you can't get in there and get him. Accessing from the north, this this road wraps around this access road. Most guys, I, I like to, to be drop like, off that road. That is a very very steep. Hill. Not I've gonna, been there before. Not, not gonna lie, but also that habitat looks fantastic. I think most guys are gonna stop on that hillside coming off the road to the south, and they're not gonna cross to that bottom and come up the other side. Just looking oh, at. Oh no, most people most people aren't even gonna park. I can tell you what because I've hunted here before. Uh, most people park at these little food plots, and they hunt off this side of the road. Okay. They don't walk off this side because off the right side of the road is a straight, like, sheer drop for, uh, like, a long ways. I mean, it's a serious hill, especially for down there. So I don't think that people are dropping off here, and that's probably why he didn't get killed in the rut because in the rut, he's running all over that. All that ridge, Where yeah. you could you could walk 100 yards off the side of the road and go down that hill and watch that bottom, and, I mean, he came through there really often, yep. and he didn't get killed doing that two years in a row. Uh, so I just I don't think it's kind of the the access thing where kind of switching that mindset, not necessarily going a super far distance. Yeah, not farther is not always the answer. Yeah, but it's just a it's a hill that you look at it like when you're driving past and you look down there, you're like, oh, it's that steep. <laughs> ob- it's that obstacle that most guys are gonna, like. It might be a massive creek or even a river right there next to the access point. Mm-hmm. You know, the access point being a river. My bad, bro. <laughs> Drinking another. I'm working on it right now. Well, Lord. I might leave that one in. Please, I actually do. It's entertaining for everybody out there. Um, He's no. having to make up for what we called him earlier. Yep. We can't say it on here. Y'all we'll get canceled. Canceled. <laughs> Man, th- these guys are mean guys. All the listeners, listen, they make fun of me harder than I make fun of myself. It's terrible. 
I was listening. I was, by the way, on a side note, I was listening to the outro. Like I, I saw someone make a comment about the outro from this past week's episode, <laughs> and I didn't really realize what I had said, and went back and listened to it, and I was like, <laughs> "Wow, <laughs> the first ten minutes, bro. If you ain't rolling, laughing, you got problems." <laughs> so, but anyways, but no. So another thing to think about is like access points. A lot of people think I think access points is being like um, parking lots, but in this situation, any access is anywhere. That someone can walk or drive down. So, like, any yes. road system is an access point. So, anywhere off a road, uh, in like, in this situation, again, having that really steep face on one side of the road and that buck cruising kind of down that steep face and also down that bottom, again, most likely, like you're saying, not many guys are going to hunt right there. Plus, in this area, this time of the year, if you're having a north wind, you're kind of coming in with the wind at your back in that situation, too. So it, it's a challenging little spot to hunt, but the buck spend a lot of time there. And that's the thing. It's like the biggest thing I've, I've kind of realized with this, which I'm, I'm excited about, by the way, in the future, of us actually going down there and finding some of these bucks where they're, they're spending time and scouting these spots and seeing exactly what it looks like on the ground and doing some filming. By the way, if you want to check that stuff out, check out our Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Special stuff going on. Special there. stuff going on. Uh, but anyways, so it, it's just interesting. I'm very interested to kind of see boots on the ground, what this stuff really looks like in detail of where he's spending a lot of time. But again, it's uh, it's exciting to kind of see this stuff ahead of time. But let's get over to the, unless do I have anything else to cover when it comes to early season, like November? Okay. Man, just don't overthink right. it. That's all I can just, say to this. Don't overthink just it. Just close to your access it. in the draws, coming from the opposite way of everybody else. That's what I would say. Mm. Yeah, or, or just. One thing, I like pull a Michael Pike and just walk past that deer, and then slip down real quietly and kind of circle him. Get, 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 get your buddy right to go in with you. Yeah. Oh, then, I could see that and, working. And that would sure. work. Actually, okay, let's talk about that, Mike, because this this works out perfectly as an example of when you kill your deer. All right, let's talk about this. Um, so Mike killed a really really nice buck last year on some public land in Alabama, uh, in a spot where that buck was bedded not very far from the road in a thick little cutover, just like some of the stuff we're looking at here, and. You know, the situation mm-hmm. there is y'all kind of walked in. Yeah. Y'all, y'all, did y'all walk in with the wind at your face or was the wind at your back? Uh, I'm wanting to say it was kind of swirling a little bit, especially in that draw that I was hunting in. So, a little bit of swirling winds. You walk into this little draw coming off the axis point, which is a road system, dropping down to the draw, and instantly start getting into some buck signs, some rub, or some scrapes and everything. Yeah. There's some sign there. You're like, hey, dude, I'm sitting here. And you kill a buck, and he was bedded like, what, how far from me? I think he was probably only bedded about 50 yards from me. In the cutover, you heard him twice. And get it up was, and kind of feel, feed around. Yeah, and that was how far from the how far from the access? Probably 80 yards. If that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But, 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 yeah, it was close. Yeah, 60, 80 yards probably. Um, but what worked for you that time, though, is you walked in. What are you looking at, man? Looking at that, Mike, your buck was laying in a draw. Yeah, I know. He was, I, he was not on a point. Geez, yeah, draw. I scouted it. We went in and scouted. Who did I go in and scout it with? Not I can't with, remember. Who I went in and scouted it. Oh, uh, we oh found Clint? No. 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 Okay, right, you're getting just distracted here. Yeah. But anyways. He's, he's in a draw. Okay, let's yeah. talk about this for a second. So you went in with Clay, saw the sign, you know, like Clay walk out. Yeah. Was one, like, one thing I found that was very like, – and you mentioned about this, and I'll let you talk about it. In this kind of spot, because it was kind of a little early season kind of when this, when this happened. You went in, and that deer probably no, in the rut. Well, no, no, it was in uh, November. It was, yeah, it was late November. 
Was it? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it, it was literally like, into the it was like two weeks. It was like two weeks before November, like, either first week of December. Yeah, it was like two weeks after we get back from Wyoming. But listen, y'all, if you're just distracting the story, you walked in with a buddy and you had him walk directly out. That deer might have smelled you. For oh, sure, that her- buck that buck knew because we were talking the whole. For way sure, down there. T- heard you. For sure, heard you. But you had him walk back out. Like again, that pressure, that sign, whatever that right. that that noise was, walked back out. He but came he- in on the same trail that we took in to go uh, down there to pick up that camera. But what does that tell you about early season in some of these spots when they're right off the road, though? Yeah, they're fully aware, which is something that I've always thought. Uh, they know that. I mean, because we don't ever jump them up. Like, they just sit there they and chill. let they're, us walk yeah, by. Yeah, they're, they're chill. They're, they're, yeah, that was in the rut. Okay, Mike. <laughs> oh, hey, does it ruin the conversation? Dude, we're trying to have a conversation here. God, Mike was on a roll. I'm so sorry. No, it was, so rude. it was December 2nd. That's that's rut, for sure. Nah. No. I, dude, I've hunted there my whole life. I can, dude, I'll pull up the data. I'm, I'm, for, I'm for real, though. That's that was, it, was pr- it was pre-rut. No, that ain't pre-rut. Hey, Mike. Peak conception date is, like, December 15th. When did you when did you have your rutting deer? Um, it was the end of January, wasn't no, it? No, it was – no, that was the second. That was definitely the second, right? That was that yeah, 28 eight, days eight, after. Eight, that was the 18th, yeah. That was the 18th. 28 days after. Okay. Hey, easy. Calm I'm down. telling you, dude. Calm well, down, buttercup. How many how many, <laughs> how many, how many, bucks did we see right. chasing during that time? Like over my life the or wizard, last year? The wizard didn't chase until uh, the end of December. Well, yeah, but that that goes along with the whole thing of like mature bucks. The whole theory that mature bucks don't chase until that last True. part of the rut. Yep. Yeah. But okay, let's not get distracted. Back to the story, though. Yeah. So y'all walk in together. You get Clay to walk out. That buck, and he uh, knew that we were in there. He knew you were in there. He heard possibly whatever that was making that noise, and that smell. What walked back out. You stayed low key, and he was coming in and checking out what was going down. Yeah. And you freaking shot him at twenty yards and <laughs> yeah. put the hammer down. Yep. And he almost ran you over, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. You're like, yeah, I was right here. I was like, dude, dude blood it, trail. It was literally like six feet from him, dude. <laughs> well, Andrew asked. He said, uh, he said, how big was he? Was he was he big or was he small? Is, is, and he, I was is like, a good rack buck like, or a great big rack? Buck? I was like, man, I was like, when I saw him up there on the hill, I was like, I thought he was just a good buck. When he jumped over me, pretty much, <laughs> <laughs> like I was behind a pine tree, and he's like five steps away from, like. No, like, five feet, yeah, like no little, over, literally no, five feet. Yeah, no exaggeration. Five to six feet from me, he yeah, crawled. Yeah. And he jumped off of this little ledge. Uh, yeah, ledge. Yeah, and when I when I looked up and saw him flying through the air, I told him, I said, he, he looked like like a reindeer, like <laughs> Santa's reindeer, like flying through the air. And I was like, and when I saw that, I said, guys, I was like, he was huge. <laughs> he, was, he was huge. So I don't know if he was huge or if he was just a, a good buck. So we didn't find out until the next day. Oh yeah. man! But but anyways, that's but to me that might be like a, a way to approach a lot of this stuff. It's like that buck was better right off access, dude. Yeah. And he had his little scrape right there. He was coming down to that drainage, checking that scrape that you were right next to. And it's like the same thing. I feel like with this deer, it's like you go in with two buddies and you kind of like scout your way in. You kind of check those little spots, dude. Especially if you kind of know where some of the scrapes and everything are ahead of well, time. I even Drop think, a buddy off, walk out, dude. The buck comes down there, bang. Well, I think even you could just go in talking, just lightly, just regular talk. That way he's not scared. You go to your spot, sc- scrape you out an area, or climb up a tree, and then have the other person walk out. And, I mean, he's 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 not scared for one because he's just like, oh, that's, you know, 
some person talking like yeah as long he knows as you're what not, you are and where you are yeah yeah that's an, that's another thing okay oh dude hold on oh we're about to talk about <laughs> rabbit hunters hold on i've heard about this from other people if a deer can hear you like if you stop this is what i've heard from many guys especially like rabbit hunters if you're walking or like you're making noise that deer can hear you he's gonna say tight because he knows exactly where you're at when you stop moving he's like he gets he gets jittery and he's yeah. like what's going on and that's when he takes off yeah so I can tell you how many people have been like entering a pin location on Onyx or base maps or whatever you're using. You're going down through there. You're like, oh, there's a rub. Let me enter this rub. And you stop to enter it. And then Buck blows out. Then you start like take a few steps after you sit there for a sec. And then it's like, whoo, whoo, mm-hmm. and, and then there goes your deer. Like, First, I mean, if you kept walking, he kept walking, yeah. he probably stays still. Right. And that's yeah, absolutely. But I'm, I mean, that's person happened to me, and I know that a lot of other guys that's talk about that good as well. Point. So it's like, if you go in, that's again it's smart. You going in with a buddy, kind of you know, just like you know, your little soft talking, whatever. Just yeah. or it's not even soft talking, just like walking in together, and then like not that like that buddy's like continuing to walk around a little bit, like maybe back behind you, and then kind of walk back out. I mean, it sounds crazy, dude. But literally, yeah. you killed a freaking great deer last year doing that. Yeah. Well, and he was kind of curiosity killed him. Yeah. Bro. I mean, the only reason I did that is because of thinking about how many times you've walked in with somebody, set them up in the tree, they climb up, the other you person leave, keeps going. Then, they're not even I climbed mean, up just, yet, and it's like, yeah. It happened, happened to me, bro. I got I got good old story on my whole family farm doing that, man. Got walked yeah. in, bro. I was a child, about I don't know, 11 years old. By the time I climbed up that stand, I barely got up in that double ash, and I looked up, and a buck stood up, bro, and he was walking right towards me. And I was like, oh, all right, all <laughs> seven millimeter away, right to the chest, and he went down. Yep. So. Absolutely, but I'm telling you, that's a good point. So, like, but that's the way I look at like early season. Like, if you can hunt with a buddy system, or you're kind of going together, like the guy that kind of goes in, like, really, a lot of this has to go off scouting. Like, you can't. I feel like you you got to know the area. You got to know kind of like where those like scrapes are at, where he's like kind of coming out of these areas, kind of walking like that, and the other guy kind of walk out, making just a little bit, just a little bit of noise, not so much to bump the deer, but this so that deer kind of knows what's going on. He hears that noise kind of disappear, and then he's coming in to check it out, and you're right there, dude. Yeah, it sounds crazy. It sounds crazy, but the thing is, like, that story like what you're talking about, people yeah. dropping somebody off. And the kid killing a giant buck because the buck crosses that road, that access point, whatever it is that that dude, that kid's sitting on, because he thinks the pressure's gone. That is a legit thing. That is an absolute thing that happens quite often, dude. Yep. That's so, why the little kid's always killing a big deer after someone drops him off. Abso- like absolutely, yep. dude. Because you, you're talking to the kid like, "Hey, all right, you're gonna climb up right here, blah blah blah." Climbs mm-hmm. up the tree. All right, I'll pick you up at six thirty. And freaking dude walks in, the freaking buck walks by. And the other thing is, is it's always usually an overlooked location because they always set you up. They, they try to guard <laughs> hole on the, you on the last place, yeah. you know, yeah. that anybody wants to go because they don't want to, you know, take up, you know, another paying member spot. So they put you off to the side. So I mean, uh, <laughs> yep. I mean, it all makes sense now. Yep, absolutely. So yeah, there's a guy growing up at our hunting club who always hunted right behind the pin in box. And like our little butchering station yeah. and everything, he always hunted right behind it. He killed all every single year. He killed a buck there. Killed one time. He killed a piebald doe there. All kinds of stuff. People were like, and people knew that he was hunting there. And everyone's like, well, that's stupid. But yeah. he kept killing bucks. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, he's the one laughing. It's like um, uh, Kevin Tolis talking about. You know, Kevin Tolis is a guest we had in last year, and I forget which episode he was on. Um, but he has a lot of experience hunting privately and talking about doing that. Like, hey. Check behind the camp house. Check behind the camping area. Yep. Check behind 
Now, you got to look at those spots. Or what he talked about, which kind of goes in hand-to-hand with this too, is those thick drainages in between the secondary ridge points that have fields on them, like green fields, those, second, those drainages in between it could have a ton of deer sign with those bucks and does and everything are just like chilling out down there. And they're kind of like wrapped around the side of the hill below these fields. And then that evening they're coming up to feed. Mm-hmm. You set up down there, dude, and it's just freaking like you're cashing your check, man. You're just yep. like, let's go. <laughs> All right, so let, let's get over to the rut stuff because, like, this is when it gets kind of real juicy. So we talked about November and kind of uh, just the, the lack of, you know, daylight movement, which is kind of crazy. Just how small of an area these deer really, you know, this specific buck is staying in daylight just movement. Super concentrated. Super. I mean, like, dude, like, some people are like, oh, man, you know, his core area is 20 yards. Dude, his daytime core in November is like half an acre. Or, I mean, 20, not 20 yards, 20 acres, my bad. I said 20 yards. Well, it depends. Yeah. So, well, that can get kind of confusing. So, like, daytime core, like, if he lays down in this specific draw on that day, like, he ain't leaving. There's other ones that maybe he does leave. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, the, his his main bedding spot where he spent the most time, yeah, it's 0.1 acres. And then there's other ones where it's it's not quite as tight as that. But, I mean, what, what would you say? Here, let me just measure it real quick because – um, that general area he's yeah like the general it? area what, what, what that month are we what month is this january this is january uh, i'm looking i'm measuring for november though so like the general area that he kind of spends his daytime mm. is about that right there so you got a bedding spot here a bedding spot move, here. move that pin out a little bit yeah that pin right there move it out can you move it out oh we call him the wizard but he's still you know he's still struggling still struggle now, how many acres is that uh that would be 122 acres so all of his daytime beds, pretty much, minus maybe one or two of kind of like the the less that's, common beds. That, that's that's just because of the, how zoomed out we are. That's surprising how big that is. Yeah, uh, 122 acres, give or take, just a little bit. That's I mean, not, that's no joke. And wow. that and that's kind of the his. I would say that's definitely for November his core area because not only are his beds are on the periphery of that, but where he spent most of his nighttime hours are right kind of right in the middle. Smack of all dab, those. smack dab in that. Yeah. So let's look at uh, January, uh, which is kind of, you know, getting into like early pre-rut into the rut of this property. And it is, it's quite amazing. So one thing that we, we quickly realized with this deer is November, nothing was happening. We skipped December. December's kind of, again, you know, a little bit of pre-rut, but really. I'd like to go back and look at December just to see what it says. Look at December just maybe a little bit. Andrew, you know, Andrew Dole with it himself. He's trying to pull up uh, images of Halloween's rut map. Okay. I'm just curious about what they say for this particular property. Depends on which map you're looking at, what year we're talking about here too. But, all right. So, in the rut, Mike, one thing that we noticed in the month of uh, January is like the, the jump of movement from his daylight beds. Or this the daylight movement in general. Like he would go from spending, you know, a quarter acre, half an acre in one spot to covering, you know, in some situations, you know, three, four hundred yards in daylight movement. Uh, Angie, what you find in there, bud? So for this particular property that we're looking at, it says peak rut date is between January 9th and twenty fourth. Yeah, January 9th. Yeah, because this property is about right here. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, January 9th through twenty fourth, which uh, it doesn't say whether or not that's peak conception or what they define as peak rut. So give or take, basically, it's just January. Yeah, basically. I can tell you that there's a lot more deer killed on the during. I think the you'd say the February, of, but listen, I hunted either, that and they no, no deer get killed. No, <laughs> no not February. Uh, it, it was terrible. It was uh, either in December or the first week of January. Uh, mm-hmm. It always had more than the third week of January. Yeah. Um, all right, 
that's kind of how oh, okay. that's kind of how it is on the hunt, like where you killed your buck last year. The home around Thanksgiving, there's a lot of bucks killed, and then like December tenth, there's a big buck. bucks. That's what that's when all the deer get killed, and then later <laughs> around like Christmas is when the big big deer get killed. Yeah, the ones you don't hear about, <laughs> you know. Yeah, the, the ones wizard. On, yeah, the ones on the the DL. Okay, but let's talk about this here. So there is a a quite a bit of a jump in daylight movement from what we were looking at in November to January. January in this area is that rut time frame. Okay, so like the rut here definitely kind of probably later January in, in, on this property from uh, I guess personal experience and also probably I don't know. Would you say what biologists would talk about on this property? You know, kind of later January time frame. You know, uh, thir- I mean thirdly. peak conception. I would say probably late, but I, I haven't hunted this that much. But just the two years I did hunt it definitely seemed like I, I definitely saw the most rutting activity like around like January 9th through like the 15th or so. So, I mean. A little bit of know. everything. Well, late January, I've really struggled to find bucks. So, okay. So, Andrew, talk about a little bit. What did we see when it came to like his overall daytime movement at this point compared to like what we were looking at kind of back in November? Kind of how much had stuff changed? So, and also kind of, I guess, location of it, because he kind of shifted just a little bit. His Okay, so his uh, his home range stayed the same shape. It just got bigger. So it's still an oval that goes north and south, but it got uh, half a mile longer to the north, basically. Uh, he really didn't go that much further south. He went a lot further north than he was going before. Um, his daytime beds, this is really interesting. So that core area, that like 120 acre place that we just talked about, when he returned to that, he pretty often was still using those same beds that he was using in November. Same bedding areas or pretty close to them. Uh, but well, when he left, especially when he left, he almost every single time bedded in a thermal hub, like in the bottom of it. Yeah. Which, Mike, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'm just still amazed at how much they bed in the bottoms right now. Like, I mean, it just blew my mind. Um, I really don't have anything else to add to that, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'd, I'm going to have to take some time to process all this because everything you've always heard is, you know, up on the tops, up on the tops, up on the tops, and a lot of this stuff's in the draws. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, I mean, this sets up very similar to um, a couple of years ago. I went down to my dad's hunting club. And uh, ended up shooting uh, a couple of deer down there, but one, one or two in particular, um, they were set up like trying to catch this uh, intercept, basically does going from bed to food, and that could be like what they're doing here, because a couple of these scenarios, like especially like once January hits, they're really setting up in a really big bottom, not in like a tight draw that's choked out. It looks like. In a few of these, like, it's more open. And I would assume, like, if he's there in the daytime, then he's probably down there looking at um, at intercepting some of these does coming. Like, this one in particular, like, do you see that? Um, mm-hmm. Those were green fields, right? Up yeah, there on that a lot hilltop. of plots on the hilltop. And so if does are bedding over here, you've got this saddle right here. And then, of course, this ridge that leads up right here. So he could intercept does right here audio in that little drainage. audio podcast yeah um, Be- better explain what you're yeah you about. got a bedding area and you got a saddle in between that and the food and he's setting up 
you know, intercepting the dough travel from In that spot, he's, he's pretty much in a giant thermal hub right there. Yeah. And he's just checking out, like, when those does most likely are kind of going up in elevation to that, say, greenfield or even those oaks right there probably. Yeah. You know, he can kind of intercept them on kind of what they're doing. Like, he's hunting. He is now at the point where – he he's goes hunting from, does. He's hunting does. He's right. not kind of in these little thickets. He's betting in spots that he can kind of hunt these does uh, throughout the daytime and also kind of in the evenings as he's covering more ground to put himself in a spot that he's going to find those. Yeah, days. and then this one particular one over here, just a little ways away from that one, uh, but there's like three different saddles that meet up in a general area, and he's in the bottom uh, below those saddles. And, I mean, just imagine all of the – I mean, if you were a hunter – that would be a good spot to set up, you know, if, if you were a hunter because you've got all of those little saddles in there and deer could be coming over any of those. Any that's, that's so, a, that's and that's a, the same thing. That's, it's a really good point. It's, it's a compounding feature right there. Right. You get multiple – so, like, what Mike's talking about when we're looking at this on the map right now, this buck during daylight hours is spending a lot of time in this one area, which I don't know kind of the, the acreage there, and Andrew can maybe kind of look at, but it's where there's the three drainages kind of coming in together. Yeah. Uh, so there's three different uh, kind of saddles in this one spot, kind of dumping out into this one um, uh, kind of thermal hub uh, or like a crow's foot. And it is a very interesting little spot. And actually, like, kind of like what Mike talks about, you know, it'd be a really good spot to kind of hunt. It is a total of eight acres. Oh, my gosh, it's so small. Uh, but this buck's spending a lot of time in this like eight acre little spot in this thermal hub where these three drainages, these three saddles are kind of dropping off into this one spot. And clearly you can probably just base off looking at the map. He's spending a lot of time there, probably trying to catch does kind of coming up and down in elevation, kind of going to and from bedding and feeding uh, during this time of the year in this spot there. So he's, again, he's kind of shifted his area across the map, probably um, from like potential bedding areas earlier, probably three quarters of a mile or so north. Uh, and he's setting up in a spot where he's trying to catch those does kind of coming to and from uh, and out of these uh, three yeah. different saddles. And can you m measure that from that to where those possible fields are yep um yeah another thing i just noticed that's kind of interesting about this is this is like a massive like thermal hub right here and every branch that comes off of it you've got another thermal hub and he's kind of making his rounds around the big giant one like so this is your main hub right here just humongous giant thermal hub and then here's one branch there's a there's a hub here's another branch there's a hub here's another branch there's a hub Come back here, there's a hub, and then there's a saddle that connects to this hub that all goes around it. And he's kind of just looping through all of he's it. He's looping through all of it. You know, that's that's kind of cool. I, I didn't notice that before. Um, so if you measure from here, there's like food plot probably right here. Um, that would be one mile. Yeah. One mile. And it seems like there's a, quite a few that are wrapped around there possibly, but I don't. I don't know. So that that goes back to another thing. Like when we oh, were yeah, talking, right we were talking to um, Josh Driver. Um, I'd reached out to him probably two years ago when I went up to Kentucky, and I was asking him about Agland, and he was telling me he's like, you know, the deer. A lot of people will pressure those fields. He said, but what I usually find is when they shift, they shift to about like a mile. He said that's when I start looking for sign and things like that is about a mile out so if you drew a mile radius outside of some kind of ag field he said that's where i start looking for the buck sign and that was spot on because i ended up seeing i think three or four bucks the first morning uh, mm. that i hunted um, after i found that sign it was a, a really good um, saddle community scrape 
approximately a mile away from the ag fields. Um, and that's, you know. A half a mile. But, that's but, the closest food plot. Hey, yeah, by, by, by the way, Josh Driver, episode 141. Uh, the, the biggest thing that I noticed with this deer is the sporadic movement in this one general area. The thing is, he didn't go very much outside of this zone. And maybe, Andrew, you can kind of like map out like the kind of whole like range here. Mm, in, yeah, in, I definitely can. And, and kind of figure out like kind of, you know, how much of an area he's kind of covering. But he'll go from like one corner to like the south, like a mile to the south within like an hour. Like he's like covering like a lot of distance, especially as we get into like the 8th, the 9th, the 10th, the 11th, the 12th of January. Which, you know, rut, you know, peak rut period might in this area might be kind of a little bit later until like kind of mid, you know, kind of later January. Um, he's covering a ton of ground, dude, in this spot. And you can tell just by the way the kind of pens are laying out, he's probably checking doe bedding areas and he's kind of running through these food sources, uh, these destination food sources, whether it's like white oaks or water oaks down low uh, or it's a food plot or whatever else. He's covering the ground. You can clearly tell based off the pens that he is trying to do whatever he can to run across the most amount of deer in the shortest period of time, especially in the evenings, but also during the daylight hours as well. And this is when he gets very, very vulnerable. Now, the thing is, everybody's always heard about like, oh, yeah, man, you know, hunting the rut. That's when you're going to have the best chance at your buck. And, and clearly, based off of this, that kind of early, kind of like that that kind of later pre-rut getting into the rut is, seems like a fantastic time to catch a buck covering a lot of ground in a pretty good-sized area but the thing is, this buck like crosses the same ridge every single time when he's going. Yeah. There's like a specific spot on this ridge, and the problem is the only way to find that without again looking at GPS collar uh, surveys like what we're looking at here is to go off scouting and try to find like these crossings on this one road. But if you could yep. set up somewhere on this ridge where this buck is continually to cross every single time he goes north to south, you have a very high dang good you spot. have a very high chance of killing this deer. Very this spot right here really reminds me of uh, the spot we named Arizona. Yeah. Oh my. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it really does actually. Yep. Now that you mentioned that, it, that does set up. And look at the line going through there, where he's just back and forth, back and forth. Yep. And another thing is, this is the rut. But I mean, if you look at his daytime compared to his nighttime movement, it's still pretty concentrated. I mean, yeah, there's days where he, he does, like, a very large uh, swath where he just walks. But but he ends up at the same locations. Yeah, the same locations during daylight. You know, he might not be in that one spot all day, every day, but he's going to that spot a whole bunch of days out of that month. Yep. Um, that's pretty interesting because, you know, when you look at this, and Patreon members will be able to see this when we share the maps on there. Um, when you look at this... The blue pins that are the nighttime pins, they're kind of scattered out all over the place. They almost look a little bit random. But those those daytime pins, they're they're very much like concentrated, especially compared to the nighttime ones. Uh which is not something that I mean I typically think about with the rut. I mean when when I think about the rut, I think he's just like balls to the wall, just going all over the place. But Yeah. And he is to an extent, but he's going to the same spots. He's he's being a lot more consistent than I thought he'd be yeah. during daytime. Yeah. You know, it kind of, you know, yeah, they're they're being crazy and, and they're not thinking as much, but they're still trying to not get killed. Mm. I mean, that's what that tells me right there. Yeah. Um, it's probably, you know, he's probably using travel corridors that he's used before that he knows is safe because it, do, it does seem like, uh, especially when he's traveling in daylight, he's he's going the same route a lot of times. That's, per, that's pretty interesting. Yep. 
All right, so but moving on from the rut with that one. So here here's another buck. Uh same property, not that far away. Their their home ranges actually touch each other. Um they don't really overlap. They touch each other and they just they kind of stop right there. Uh they they really never get into each other's home ranges very much even in the rut. Uh they they intermingle a little bit, but not nearly as much as I thought there's they like would. A, there's like a buffer there. I mean, it's like a wall. I mean, they hit and they just don't mix. No, this this is the buck, dude. I feel like this is the hammer. Yeah, yeah, this one. This is the big. This is the big guy. Living, he, he's he, got it figured out. He, he's had four or five years to figure this out, and he's got it, he's got it down pat. He's fat and happy and, until he met us. So. Uh, so yeah. Long story short, on this buck, he lives in a safety zone on a WMA. So uh, he's got he's got the setup. This buck yeah. does. He's definitely got the setup. Uh, most of his daylight pin. I mean, it's exactly what you'd expect. Most of his daylight pins are smack inside that safety zone. The ones that are not inside that safety zone are in weird spots that I would never hunt. Yep. So, and there's a lot of nighttime movement too. I mean, lots of nighttime movement. You could. This is a good example of how you could see where you walk out. Imagine if you walk into the saddle right here, where you see just, a ton of signs. There's so many nighttime pins right there. I mean, it is like just blue. There's so many. There's scrapes. There's rubs. There's probably. scrapes. There's rubs. There's feed sign. And I bet. you're like, you're like, dude, this is money, dude. I'm gonna set up, and like, you don't see anything but like a doe. Yeah, because he's there. You know, he's not the only deer that's using that saddle. Yep. And it's kind of interesting because there's this one saddle on this ridge, and he's just all over it, where he's like hanging out inside the saddle or off the edges of it. It's kind of weird. You're looking at it, and you're like, dude, it's like a thick line of pins in that saddle right there. He's mm-hmm. spending a significant amount of time in that saddle. But it's not, only, but not only just crossing at night. through it, but like being in it. But it's only at night, though. Yes, only at night. Only at night he's going through that saddle. But the thing is, so this buck is living and the funny thing is, well, he's living in the safety zone. And the funny thing is, we were looking at this earlier. Man, this is kind of an interesting spot. And Mike's like, dude, I bet you that's a safety zone. And we, pulled, <laughs> we, pulled, we pulled the WMA map. We're like, oh, dude, you're spot on, bud. Yeah. And literally, his uh, pins represent pretty much the safety zone itself. Yeah. Um, and he's kind of betting off like these different little drainages. Again, not really on the points, but kind of on these drainages, uh, kind of in this little safety zone. Again, not terribly far from the road. Um, so that's super fascinating but the thing about this deer is if you look at his kind of daytime pins versus nighttime pins his daytime pins are very kind of concise in these areas like even like let's see what time this is october you have a uh, october and november on here do you not do you have january for this year or no yes sir. Well, probably january too oh january is a heat, map, a heat map but i mean well that, he's got one pin way to the south right there but i wonder if that's nighttime um you know, the thing is with this deer here, he is – he knows his little hub area where, like, he's just not getting pressure, and he is living in there, dude. He's hanging out. I mean wh- – wh- He's fat and happy. He's fat and happy. I bet you that deer's a hammer, dude. I mean, <laughs> that deer's probably dead by now because it's, what, 2015? Yeah, it's 2015. Uh, for sure dead. But – I think we should just go put a trail camera in there and just see uh, – I bet you there's a freaking <laughs> – yeah, I bet you there's some ma- – there's a mac. <laughs> Daddy living in the safety zone. But, hey, so this, this is my thought. My yeah, thought. Jacob came up with a really good idea. This, all right, so listen. <laughs> this, this is my thought, guys. So we'll put this out there. for this. So the safety zone bucks. Safety zone is not super big, and it allows us because there's a pretty good back wall right there that we could come in. Around. What's the back wall? You can say it. Do you really want to say it? My, Andrew, you if, talk. If someone wants to know, this picture right here is on – an article on deer and deer hunting mags uh, on their website. So if someone really wants <laughs> to find it, 
<laughs> yeah, if someone wants to find I mean, a lake I don't pond, care, but... I'm not going to say the name right, of the place, but there's right. a lake right there. It's a little pond. Very little pond. <laughs> <laughs> a little old beaver pond. A little, little beaver pond. But anyways, but this buck is bedding, like, in these drainages, like, up above this this pond. That's what I'm going to say. This, this pond, in my mind, Andrew. What, <clears throat> um... So, so my thing is, if there's other buck, clearly I would guarantee there's other bucks using this area, okay? Especially during, you know, all times of the year, but especially even close to probably the rut. There's probably does in that area as well. But to go in there, my thought is, go in there and walk this property and, like, kind of bump this area pretty freaking hard where you're trying to push him out of this area and push him back off the safety zone. Again, not with weapons, no weapons with you, but we're just going for a very thorough you know, kind of like a chatty going walk. in like a day or two before the gun hunt. Yeah, and, and kind of, and really, what you'd want to walk it. I think two days in a row, and try to bump the deer directly out of like this. Like there's a big thermal hub right there that he's like spending a lot of time in, and bump him out of that and see if you can push him out to the fringes of this stuff. Because there's a lot of other really good thermal hubs uh, in in multiple different directions from where this buck's kind of bedded at, especially to like the kind of east. Uh, but if you could kind of bump a good deer out of there, you know, two days in a row where he doesn't feel comfortable coming back in there. He'll kind of hunt the fringes or he'll stay on the fringes and you hunt the fringes. I feel like you'd have a pretty good opportunity at killing one of those deer, um, especially in that spot there. Um, but that's just kind of interesting with that kind of safety zone and how that buck's real. I mean, dude, he is sucked tight in there and you can tell probably based off the hunting pressure and everything else like dude there's you know no one probably even walks in there probably not even like that many hikers and he's just like chilling like he's just he's he's pretty smooth dude. there's very few pins during daylight hours that are outside of that little safety zone uh, this is a little bit off subject but check out this line right here that he's traveling on i know that. I and these nighttime so. pins these traveling pins even though that doesn't look like a lot for it to catch him so that many times so when he's, he's just traveling, uh, that's impressive. He's, he's going across the dam right there. He's going across the dam. And then and then this up here is a food plot, probably maybe what he's going to. Yeah, but he's he's crossing that dam multiple times right there, uh, kind of running kind of north to south, cr- going across the dam, and he's just, you know, putting himself in a spot, man, where he can kind of go out there and feed and check his does and everything else. That, I'm, I'm kind of surprised at how hard some of these deer are hammering food plots, like these bucks. Kind of makes me want to go like hide a camera on a food plot and put it up real high. Yeah, put it up high. That might be a pretty good way to locate some deer for real. Overlooked, man. Yeah, like just get them, get them on camera, and then kind of go from there and and be like, "Well, I know he's here." Backtrack them. Yeah, backtrack them a little bit. Well, the thing is, with this Mm. GPS study, it kind of shows you kind of what kind of habitat these deer are using. You find all these little thick drainages, dude. Hey, he's probably probably holding tight, man. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking back to a time uh, last year, year before last. Um, so all 2019 where i got busted um a deer coming up in a draw in a thick draw it was actually pines a whole pine draw he come up right up in the middle of it and ended up busting me and i'm hoping it wasn't the big deer i got on camera at the end of this deer uh no but the same road okay yeah. but at the end <laughs> down there yeah it was a really really tall one that was walking the road um I'll, I'll show y'all. <laughs> There's so many deer. I know. We had a lot of big deer. Michael's all over the bucks, man. The old Dilla, yes, you know, overturns every leaf. Um, but also, just this deer here, also one thing I've kind of noticed is, like, he doesn't, and it, maybe it's because, like, the, there's the lack of hunting pressure. He's not using that back wall like I would expect him pro- possibly to do. If you kind of look at that. Mm, yeah. You know, compared to, like, what PK was talking about, like, he's not bedding right down there on that pond. Um, he's bedding kind of off of it in these bigger drainages up above it. 
Um, and again, I'm wondering if that's just because of based off you know wind currents and everything else. This just makes for a better site for him. Well, for one, he doesn't have to worry about that area around it. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's so what I'm saying. He's I not mean, look at how much he's used that slough. He's not getting any pressure from people in there, more than likely, That'd be good because of that reason. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, 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 hey. What's that? What's that? Can I see how that deer's using that property? Around that little body of water, how's that changed for different places? Oh. And see how he's using that slough? Oh. Oh, what you thinking, bud? What you think? Oh. Interesting. The wheels have started turning. That was the one in that saddle. Oh, yeah. Remember him? That's oh, a, yeah, I do remember that's him. That's a wacky deer, bro. Yeah, yeah dude. Tall. Real tall. High and tight. High and tight. High and tight. Yep. He's got a top hat on. His. What's but, interesting about this deer right here. Yep. Sorry. Okay. Dang, just did, I'm derail, so sorry. Derail the conversation. What's interesting about this deer right here is compared to the last one that we looked at, same property, a neighboring home range, like neighboring buck, same year. Uh, he is not nearly as concentrated in his daylight uh, movement as the other one, it seems but like. I, I want, this is my thing. I, I agree. Is it because he lives in a safety zone? That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, he's living in an area yeah. that any legal, respectable hunter is not going to be hunting there. And where the other buck is strategically more bedding close to access points in a spot where he can kind of monitor, but also it's an overlooked spot. Like, again, he's betting in spots that I'm not – even I'm looking at it, I'm like, I'm not thinking that's going to be a betting area. Yeah. It's just I'm not thinking that. I'm yeah. going yeah. to walk right past him, and he's going to know I'm there, and he's going to hold tight, and then he's probably going to slip out the back mm. end. Yeah, he. I feel like he's in a spot that, uh, like, kind of your average hunter is going to overlook because <sighs> that just coming in the wrong way or whatever. But also guys like us who overthink this are also going to overlook because it's not a place that I would – like you said – I would never guess that he was bedding in half the places he was bedding in. Yeah. So it's like a place that everybody's ever. Yeah, with him bedding so close to the saddle, if if you cross by, I mean, he's able to just hop over real quick without yeah. having to go up a ridge and back down like he's going through a low point. Lord, right there, right through the saddle. Like you'd have to on those saddles, like they're pretty pretty tight saddles. I mean, what maybe fifty two hundred yards wide. Oh yeah, for sure. So like if you were Walking down that road, if you were 50 yards further, you'd be over the hilltop and you wouldn't be able to see him. Yep. Yeah, and his daytime activity outside of this uh, safety zone, he's in a pine thicket next to a highway. Of course. Yeah. I mean, just like, yeah, not far off a highway either, right? And that's here where especially. I've seen a. That's where I've seen right down that highway, people pull off and and hunt. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's yeah. probably why. Mm-hmm. But but the thing but the, again I think. His son, God, that's why we got to break it down. Some of these other bucks is like, yeah, you know, this buck is in a in a safety zone, and like he he acts like you're looking at the pins, you know, there's there's a general area right there that he is spending a lot of time in, but it's not super super concentrated, as in like th- these designated spots. And I'm wondering again if that's just because of the safety zone. This is like there's not many people like hikers or anybody going in there, and he feels a little bit more kind of low key, kind of discomfortable compared to like the first buck we looked at, where he's like, hey man. There, there, budging. There's people driving down these roads. There's people walking down these roads. I'm betting right next to them, so mm-hmm. I can hear yeah. I can hear everything coming. And then if he needs to dump off, he can go down an elevation. He can go across elevation. He can go over the top of the road. He can do a bunch of different things. That's the interesting factor. But dude, that's the cool thing. And then you know we got some of these pucks, these uh, different bucks on these uh, private parcels, and that are like you know these larger hunting clubs. And it's just like, dude, they're all over the place. That'll be really interesting to look at. I, I'm pretty excited to look at those, actually, too. Yeah. 
Um, when we started looking at those, um, one thing that jumped out to me is one thing I talked about, I think maybe even, even in the last episodes, driving down the road, um, you know, early morning, and it goes along with one of those studies that we looked at. A lot of the deer move between 2 and 5 yeah. um, in the morning and then, you know, midday. So that two and two to five in the in the morning, if you catch those bucks moving, a lot of these bucks like were focused around houses, um, or around roads. I mean, right off the road. Yeah. And so, and that's what I did when I went to. Uh, I'm gonna drop a name here. When I went to Samar Murphy, um, I drove around, and uh, what I was looking for is houses with light poles and things like that. That way I could see if there were deer feeding out in the grass, you know, like around the houses and whatnot. Driving around in the middle of the night. Right. <gasps> and then kind of. We haven't of, talked about that deer yet. Oh, shoot. We got another deer we got to look at. Oh, oh, yeah. We have <laughs> to look at that deer. Hey, this does automatically flip it to us while you're talking about this, Mike. So. It's going hand in hand, my man. So anyways, like, back to what we were seeing on here is these bucks were just, all of these pins were located right right next to these like four or five houses that were together that they were in their front yards. They were like right next to the road. They were in the back of the yard. Like they're all focused around those areas. All right. We're about to, we're about to talk about that, Mike. So this is a poke land parcel. If Andrew can find it where there is, is it two bucks that are uh, yes. mapped? All right. So, and dude, by the way, that home, that is a wild home. Very range. different than the South Alabama property. Yeah. That, that deer relocated a couple miles. It looks like. Let's if, see. If not maybe three. That's that's uh that's a bunch of meters. Six miles. Six miles. Six Holy cow. Miles. And the other one's what, like three quarters of that? That says the crow flies. Hold on. So you can see his travel route that he took uh to to go between these two different home ranges. If you go through his actual travel route where he spent the majority of his time, seven. you got seven miles. So wow. this other one is three miles. And they both went to the same spot. Which was that cluster of houses. <laughs> which is a cluster of houses in the middle of the National Forest. Yep. Which is kind of hilarious. Because um, at first I was like, man, there's probably so many corn feeders <laughs> in here. I'm like, that's probably what brought them. But, I mean, I don't know. that. I mean, that's really six miles. I mean. I wonder if there's a safety zone there, too. Because of the houses. Pull it up, baby. I bet. Listen, I'm feeling confident, man. Mike's, Mike's, you know, you know. I mean, a lot of a lot of private. If it's within a WMA, yeah, it's safety zone. Well, no, it's it's, the ones I've seen are not, but it's definitely an out parcel. Yeah, it's maybe with that that many houses in that area, maybe, maybe it is. Oh, yep, yep. Safety zone. Oh, <laughs> my God. The, dude, they ran, one of the bucks ran six, seven miles to a safety to zone. To a safety zone. Wow. One six miles and one three miles. Bro. Just to get to that safety zone. That's wild. That, I'm going to see if one of them want to sell their house. Well, so here, well, well, <laughs> Let's well, go buy the house. Well, well, time out. So it's not, I don't think it's quite that simple, though, because uh, that, that's a safety zone for the WMA, but that does not mean that the private land people aren't hunting because they they do have food plots that are visible on here. Okay, but so, but, so they're but, still hunting it, but but it's still but a safety zone. yeah. And if if you've got that small of a piece of property, you're not going around in those woods. Like uh, you're setting up uh, a greenfield uh, or a feeder, and I'll pull that you're up more on, than likely. Let me, let me pull up on this is a food plot right here. Yeah, but you're right more here. than likely hunting it from 
off to the side somewhere. You're, don't shooting, you think? you're shooting your deer off the back porch. Let's right. be honest here. Yeah, is that most people that have properties like that probably have like yeah maybe their backyard and then you got a food plot right and they hunt that food plot most likely right uh, but that's that's probably pretty much it but yeah. um, I bet they kill some good deer off that each year. He this one right here this is actually probably outside of that safety zone a little bit mm-hmm. about half of his uh, half of his core that's over there he he's staying outside of it a good bit this right. other one oh oh yellow pretty, right pretty here. Hey, hey hey I'm looking at it right he now is bro in it dude look 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 at the property lines that's it right there y'all see that. Yep. Oh yeah. So, so he's, he's definitely outside. Dude, did we that buck? That yeah. Buck. He's like this one half in is half in out. it. Yeah, in it big time. And it's funny you zoom in and he's got I don't even know I'm need to like right. figure out how many pins it is in this guy's front yard. But he's got so many pins in this guy's yard you like can't even lo- see the yard. Yeah. Well, it looks like he's in the house. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean it looks it's... like he's inside the house. And I, again, I did Google Street View and there's probably just, like, some water rose oaks. bushes or something. Oh yeah, dude. There's a row of water oaks right there, and there's like a row of pins just stacking underneath those water oaks where you can tell he's just gorging on acorns at night. So right hey, there. Look, but, let's let's talk about this. We got to break that down. But that's crazy how far so when did the shift happen Andrew did you like look at that I don't know it would take a while for me to to get that out of the data um for the yellow one it was during uh like generally when the acorns are falling and stuff uh so about October early October is when he shifted down there which is another thing that tells me that it, it might not be really hunting pressure related uh, because this one, the yellow one that shifted like three or four miles, mm-hmm. he shifted before hunting season. Yeah. Um, and even bow season too, when it comes to pressure, I would expect, if this is like a shift in regards to pressure, I would expect it to happen in November or December, um, not bow season. I mean, I, I, a six-mile shift for bow pressure, I mean, unless the, this area is just getting absolutely slammed, yeah, well, I've never seen that kind of bow pressure. Well, what if they caught him at three years old? Or something like that. Yeah. And then he already had been traveling for a couple of years. Well, this is two know? years of data, too. So he could have completely yeah. relocated. Right. You never know. If if they collared, especially if they collared him at one and a half or two and a half. So, you know what would be really funny is if they were doing a study and they had, like, this past year and maybe the year before last and then, like, all of our listeners, all of a sudden, they're hunting around the safety zones, and then you see them split out, and there's no deer. <laughs> there's no deer near the safety zones anymore. You know it's going to happen. Like, everybody's going to be focusing on these safety zones now. These people right here that have all these green fields, they're going to be so pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's going to be, be on the property line. They're going to be like, Dang, what? Mike, they're going to be like, what happened? Weren't you talking last week about hunting property lines or something, Dang, Mike? spot burner. Oh, spot burning son of a gun, man. <laughs> Hey, that's the thing. This brings up a good point, though, when it comes to, like, looking at this GPS data. That's something we talked about a little bit earlier is uh, is kind of talking ourselves into a little bit of a corner with this stuff where we make a lot of assumptions based on what we're seeing, and it's easy to take that assumption and run with it yeah. and get the incorrect idea. So, I mean, like this right here, you know, you see them, like, bam, they go right to that safety zone. Or are they going to it because it's a safety zone or is there something else? Yeah, well, the initially. the safety zone's the easy well, answer. Our, you know? our, our first initial assumption was, oh, there's food there because of yeah. the houses. It's diverse. Uh, then later on after that, we were thinking, well, maybe the does are in there. And, you know, because a lot of times the does like to be around somebody's house. And then that could be like a, a shift for the rut or something. But then mm-hmm. now we notice it's also a safety zone. So it's like. 
you really don't know. That's so funny, dude. But you really don't have to. Well, I guess you know, if you don't have pins, I, you have to worry about the reason why. You but know, you know, the funny correlation with this. So three of these four bucks that we looked at in public land are in safety. They, yeah. they relocated to safety. Zone. Right. Where one of them, he's like, oh, I'm just going to stick it out, bro. I'm, I'm, you know, he's a little rebel. He's, he's going to stick it out. I probably rode in the back of somebody's tailgate well, because if, of it. If we don't get some listener success stories <laughs> from from <laughs> this episode, then uh, something's wrong. Yeah, but guys, y'all got to be like, y'all got to be like walking, listen, no weapons, bump out some deer a couple different days in a row on these safety zones and hunt the fringes. There you go. Yeah, I'd be pretty interested to break this down a little more because I'm, I'm again, I'm a little bit hesitant on these two on whether or not like why they were going there because I'm a little bit less concerned of why they went to that spot. I'm a little bit more concerned of why did they leave their original areas that don't look bad. Well, I mean, what, what is this? What did you just do? This is this is that one that located in like seven miles relocated. Really? Oh, so wow. why why did he leave? That's some good looking stuff right, right here. That's this geez. is good looking stuff. It's really good looking yeah. stuff. Look at look at him in the Y Dude, of the road. Mike stack. Mike in the Y of the road. And if, listen, guys, the biggest tip you can get from this podcast episode in like last week's episode is like you gotta be checking out the Y intersections. If you have an in- intersection on a road, you gotta check that out because this buck right well, here is like the third one we've seen well, that just cruises. Look at it, how he's stacked. Do you want right to hear here. something? Do you, do you notice this right here? I mean, so those I are mean, those are, those are well, those are that kind of road is technically a safety zone too because it has to be what a hundred yards firearms. Yeah, I think archery is like fifty yards. Off the road. Yeah, but if you're hunting with a firearm, That's, it has to be my a Adrian Farley man talking about these big bucks cruising up and down, kind of parallel to these roads, man cutting trails as these doe trails cross the roads. <laughs> Whoa, get, try cool. to kill him. You know, far enough distance off the road. Man, I'm surprised they're not down there in that that creek bottom. Man, that creek bottom looks juicy down there. Yeah, the big wide swamp bottoms. They just he's don't. A, he's, he's like, I, I mean, these bucks that are collared. Uh, I'll a, be interested to see the private land stuff too. He's like, I don't want to get down there. No, the private land stuff. Same thing because there's a river going through that place, and that that not many of the bucks wanted to go oh, down yeah, there. We did. They, they were yeah. like they were staying on the high ground. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. interesting. Very well, well, there interesting. is like a, there's some points behind the beer. Mike can't see that because there's too many cans in the way. Uh, <laughs> see how that big cluster of uh, pins yeah, down there? Yeah. That, that, you know, he's down there in the bottom. Uh, yeah, we have a little bit of uh, of does actually collared here too, so I'll be able to, to turn those on and kind of see what those does did. A lot of them were stacked up around this lake right here. Dude. Um, we are, but we, I think we, some of them did go up here, so I, I just, I'm really interested dude, to see what hey, the draw Mike, of this Mike, is. Listen, gun hunt down there, December. Yeah. <laughs> I t- I'm already going to tell you where I'm going to be. <laughs> be picking up what I'm putting down. Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. So I mean, I'm putting my, putting the back to the safety zone, and we're gonna be watching one of those little thickets right there. Well, well, I mean, dude, the problem though is, I mean, like this buck right here. If you put your back I, to the I, safety I'm, I'm, zone, I'm, I'm not worried about that buck. There, there's, you know, how many other deer are in that area? This is two deer collared. Yeah. I'm looking at larger landscape. Let's notice how at, notice how close he is to these roads too, or these. Logging roads or access trails or whatever. Yep. I mean, he's just I think all you, over. You can drive most of those. That, that's another thing uh, that I just noticed about this too. I mean, look at the extent right here. This look, is a pretty wide extent. Hey, what what's there's the saddles like, look like? Like well, saddles and, and the different terrain features. Put it on, put it on topo for us so we can look at so, it. So, and this is something I figured out, Andrew, because I know where you're going with this. When I was hunting uh, Black Warrior, um, there you go. When I was hunting <laughs> Black Warrior, I noticed that the Sipsy, uh, you could. You know, you could really get away from anybody when you went into the Sipsy Wilderness area. 
And the further we got away from the main roads, the less and less sign. Me and Nathan Pratt had went in there and um, and scouted it. And you, put, the, you put some pressure on old Nathan, man. And the the, <laughs> the further we got away from uh, from those roads and access trails, the less sign that we saw. And I mean, every single every single buck we've looked at it so far, almost. I mean, right look on at this. I mean, they're be- even this one. Uh, they're always bedded right next to the roads, right next to access. Hey, yeah, and this little this little oasis of private land right here. I mean, if you turn the pins off and you just look at it for what it is, I mean, you've got a, a large pasture. You've got some what I call like dirty looking timber where it's kind of cut all over and it's real thick looking. Uh, you got like they spent a lot of time right here. This guy's overgrown yard with a bunch of oak trees in it. Uh, it's like a it's like a little island of diversity, and I mean, look at this. I mean, there's not that much. There's some yeah. cutovers, but it's just this is completely different than everything else around it. So it's like sucking in those deer. Not I, not even mentioning like the salt licks and the corn piles that are probably on that stuff. Hey, hey by the way, you're limping on this, bro. You're limping on us. All right, good job, good job. Uh, hey, another thing. Um, I'm trying to think who talked about this in the last episode. It was one of you two talking about like the limiting factor. Like yeah. what's what is like that that limiting factor in landscape? And the limiting factor here is like open area, like diversity, and right. that safety zone has that kind of habitat. Mm-hmm. So yeah. doesn't it, exist anywhere else around it. Right. I mean, not even close. That's kind of yeah. crazy when you look at it like that. So it, it dude, it's 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 interesting. I gonna like it. Now, do we look at like terrain features around there? Like, is it like a there a big thermal hub in there? Some big saddles? Like, what's the low down here, Andrew? Just zoom on in. Uh, all right, let's. These are it. all those houses. I mean, nothing, nothing no. real crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, nothing that immediately jumps out at me. I mean, this is. I mean, it's definitely kind of in a thermal hub, but I mean, all those houses are too. It's kind of all around, like the kind of like these little ridge points and stuff. Like to be on the ridges. It's just. <sighs> it's so close. Which you can't, you can't tell. You know, what's daytime or nighttime, but there's so many points in like the draws and close to the roads like it's yeah well, it's just really, blowing my mind yeah we need to look at this at a different time because for all for all we know like all this is like march right or something this is this is all their data so we we don't know when all that stuff is um so that's another thing to maybe kind of look out for because I, I did notice just briefly looking at some of that stuff i definitely noticed some big differences in like spring and summer um because probably that early spring time frame before everything greens up, it's probably when they're the most stressed for resources down here. I mean, there's still stuff, but I don't know. They might have to look a little bit harder or, or maybe relocate to new areas to find what they're looking for. Yep. So, I don't know. That that could be what, what kind of drove this. I'd, I'm going to try to figure out how old all these different deer are because uh, I'm very, very curious about this one that relocated such a long ways. I mean, man, he just bailed and followed this pretty large creek drainage and then came to this new area he's like oh cool corn piles i'll stay here for a while or what's that sign say hey, safety hey, zone hey. <laughs> hey you think he's going that way what about he went the other way i thought about that a second ago yeah i mean mm. what did, i mean maybe he was born mm. up there maybe he's like hey i'm gonna head on yeah maybe south. the dude is hammering that food plot and he's like i'm getting out of here i'm gonna go hang out by the cemetery oh, yeah we'll have oh. to break it down further yeah, yeah. hey um Oh, there's something else I was going to say about this episode. Um, well, this is a really cool episode. kind of to lead us into next week's episode, which I'm extremely excited about. Oh, yeah. Dude, in my opinion, I, I don't even – it's going to be the best one. 
No. Ever. Don't jinx it. What are you no, doing? there's no way. He jinxed it. There's no <laughs> way. Oh, I'm excited. I'm yeah, really excited. Yeah, I told I told old Doug White, old PK, about the same thing. I was like, dude, it might be the, one of the best episodes we've ever done, if not the best. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, dude, I've been excited for a lot of episodes, but like, I don't think I've been to like Jacob that lives level. at excitement level for everything. Yeah. Doesn't matter. I don't. I don't. I don't. So, I don't either. And so Mike's a this, Debbie Downer. This most time. This. Well. <laughs> <laughs> this gets me excited because there's a lot of stuff that we could unwrap with this next podcast. It more so than all of the other podcasts mm-hmm. together. Yes, sir. Right. And it's 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 data driven like this. Yep. Yeah, that's that's the cool thing. It's it's scientifically based. Right. It's not like based off oh assumptions or anything else. It's literally everything is based off the studies. Right. So that that's gonna be it's gonna be huge. I'm so excited. Yeah, that's one thing we talked about Dude. where some of this stuff is like some of the stuff you'll hear. And it'll be new, and you're like, whoa. And then some of the stuff will be like, well, yeah, that's what I've always heard. But uh, what I was telling y'all, for me, the difference is like uh, like now I, I like see it, and the data's there. And it's like, okay, yes, that is like what happens. Yeah. And there's no more like guessing, like this, what he said versus what they said. So I don't know. It just it, it gives me a little bit more confidence. And I feel like we're going to – we're either going to hear some stuff that reaffirms what we're talking about tonight, or there may be new data since we have such a small, you know, size, like as far as um, we're very limited on the amount of deer we're looking at right now. So once we get a bigger sample size from this next podcast, you know, our, you know, assumptions may be incorrect. So you'll definitely need to stay, stay tuned for the next one. Yeah, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. Yeah, when we uh we talked to the guests previously, and Mike, you couldn't join us because you know you got some other stuff going on. But, scouting, uh, scouting yeah, for deer, scouting for deer, man. Hey, it's, you know, it's, it's good, good job. But uh, me and Andrew got on there, and dude, with it, like I, I think I talked for like we were on the phone for forty minutes. I might have talked for like eight minutes. It was ninety percent Andrew talking, and I was like. <laughs> Jesus, dude. No, I was just asking questions. The guest was talking, not me. I don't know. Andrew was asking some questions. Like, bro, like, chill. For Andrew (laughs) to be asking questions, that's a big thing. (laughs) That is a big thing because he's tight-lipped like a mofo. He's just just like. (laughs) Only ask the ones that matter. Yeah. But, dude, he was asking all kinds of questions. (laughs) I could hear the excitement in his voice Yeah. while we were just We we talked about some pretty juicy stuff yesterday. Pretty juicy. Oh, really? Yeah, so, so it, it'll make for a really good episode. But let me ask, kind of like final takeaways, um, you know, for this, especially like maybe like what we kind of saw on like the rut base kind of movement, you know, I mean, kind of like what is y'all's thoughts? I mean, clearly we saw with that one buck um, who was bedded on the other property, you know, how much more he moved in the month of January compared to like the much of the month of uh, November. And it's like the opportunity to go in, whether it's bow hunting, rifle hunting, whatever else. There, there was specific spots you could sit and very, have a very high likelihood chance of running into that deer. But what's y'all's thoughts? Me, I don't even care about the rut information. Like seeing all the rest of the months and where these deer are bedding. Like, yep. Just hearing people, I'm going deep now. It's just like, <laughs> like I mean, it's just laughable almost because you literally, unless you're just trying to access from a different direction. And take the long way around, like you were talking about, like yeah. earlier coming in from the north. Uh, these deer are so freaking close, like <laughs> all of them. 
Like, <laughs> well, all the ones we've looked yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, all, all the ones we've looked all at. All the ones we've looked at. But, that. I mean, even this vast area, I mean, you see where they're clustered at. They're not They're not, They're not. not in just, you know, big big wood setting. Like, yeah. I mean, it, they're all focused on certain things. They're not living out things. like a little wilderness right. area, man. They're, like, well, next to roads. Well, it's like, we, you know, we've had guests that talked about, like, dude going in, like, super, super, super deep. And it's like... You know, I'm thinking of like one of these, they say like Paul Boutier. Like Paul talks about like some areas he hunts, he's he's three miles in. Yeah. But he's hunting very large landscapes, not very good access. So there's a lot of areas you can get very far from the roads, but he's getting into mature bucks because it has the right kind of habitat. But when you look at this, it's like there's good habitat everywhere. It's yeah. not like it's like the, the, the good habitat is not a limiting factor at right. all. That's right. not the limiting factor. Limiting The limiting factor is where the hunting pressure is located. Do you mean to tell you the limiting factor? In my opinion, from looking at this tonight, what? if you don't have a road close by, then you don't need to be hunting the area. <laughs> <laughs> the road is the limiting factor. I love it. Oh that, my god! Actually, looking at the map, that's a very good point, Mike. That's hilarious. Oh my gosh! It's hilarious, but it's actually kind of spoiling. Yeah, yeah. Like if you don't have a logging road or something close by, dude, you, you're in the wrong. You're in the wrong area. Yep. But only at least with the deer that we looked at so far. When we look at, uh, yeah, this is multiple counties too, though. Yeah, it is multiple counties, multiple, like very far distance between the public land parcel that we're looking at now, um, and, it, and it covers a really pretty wide gamut of different habitat types yep. across South. Man, I meant to say that earlier. Um, but yeah, it, it you got like lowland swamps, you got hill country, um, pine plantations, hardwoods. I mean, it, it covers a pretty good area, um, especially on the private land too. It's it's straight up timber company land, so which I know a lot of people in the South can relate with. You know, I, the only thing that I'd like to see now is uh, like a study done on flatland. Oh yeah, I'd love like to see GPS that. coordinates for well, flat. Well, one of these I think is pretty flat. Marengo County, I think that one's pretty flat. I haven't looked at it yet, but I think that terrain is like that. So yeah. we'll see. Pretty Stay mellow. Tuned. Pretty mellow. Mellow. Awesome. Um, all right, guys. Kind of final. What's your takeaway? Shoot, my takeaway is, man, we're about to kill some deer. <laughs> no, no. My, my, my takeaway for real, like, is um, I really do want to go into like the first, especially the first buck we looked at in go in boots on the ground and like scout one of the spots look at where he lives see a see how walk he, his little circuit yeah and just kind of see what it looks like and everything on the ground and first i'll see if there's another buck using it first off but also just kind of see like how he was using it back when he was doing it um just so we can kind of learn a little bit better about how we're kind of you know approaching these places also no oh, never mind i'm gonna save it for the next week's episode no, say uh, it. What no, are you going to say? No, it's, it's got to talk about the core area and, like, the shape of the core and everything else and, like, oh. getting into the sign. Well, but, we kind of said it a little bit earlier. Yeah. People we, were paying attention. Yeah, we did, but next week's episode is The shape know, of it? Yeah, we're going to get how into How it orients? Yep. Mm. Yeah, how it orients. We're going to get into a lot of details, like, scientific base details next week on uh, the episode. So, you know, you haven't asked on this episode yet, but make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Oh. Andrew, what am I you're, doing? You're, you're terrible. What? Oh a, what my a, gosh! This is like amateur hour. <laughs> amateur hour. Like junior, you got junior league over here. Oh my like, goodness! So listen, if you are not subscribed to the podcast, you are missing out big time on a lot of great information. So make sure you go over and subscribe to the podcast, no matter on the application that you are listening to us on. Uh, check us out there. Leave us a five star review. And by the way, oh, do we have to read some of the reviews? There are some <laughs> hilarious reviews uh, that we got over the last uh, week or so, uh, which we can kind of pull out now. But um, other than that, you know, you know, my biggest takeaway, dude, is just like a lot of this stuff, like don't overthink it. Like Mike was talking about, like don't 
don't always focus so much about like going in deep. Find like the little isolated, thick, overlooked habitat spots right next to the road because every single one of these bucks that we've looked at so far is using that kind of stuff. You know, they are close to access points. They are in areas that, you know, have probably some hunting pressure, but they're close enough to where those hunters are using that access point that they are just not getting the pressure right there next to where they're rolling in bed and spend a lot of daytime movement uh, versus, uh, you know, someone, you know, was trying to go in, you know, three quarters of a mile or a mile in where, you know, maybe you run into a buck, maybe you don't. But, you know, at least with these deer in general, dude, they are sucked right next to these roads. So I'll, I'll tell you what, this relates back all the way to Glenn Solomon's episode. Oh. Distinct, long-time listeners, you know Glenn Solomon. A lot of y'all probably heard it. If you haven't heard it, 116, go listen to it. Episode 116. Classic. Said it again. Classic episode. You have to go listen to it if you like this podcast. It, it's required listening. But one thing that Glenn said in that episode was um, we were asking him about this kind of thing and like Bucks Quarry areas and all that. And, uh, and he was talking about, well, you just got to find, you know, that core area and find, find where he's living is how Glenn put it. And then said, find that back door and come in the back door. And that's kind of exactly what we were talking about here is, uh, you know, if you're going to walk a super long ways, uh, maybe make sure that you're do, using creative access. Don't walk far just to walk far, you know, kind of identify where some, where a buck might be living and use that back door. Like how we were talking about at the beginning of the show where, you could come in from the north, and it, yeah, it's a long walk, but you're you're coming in that back door for that deer. All um, right. All right. Increase your chances of killing him. We got to read these outros. There really is a bunch of good ones. Hey, hey, listen. Okay, I'm going to start. I'm going to kick us off. I'm going to kick us off on June 29th, and I'm going to start there, and then Mike, you're going to go next, and then Andrew, okay? So I'm on June 29th. Uh, we're reading reviews now from iTunes, so if you are listening to the podcast and you enjoy the show, you can go over to iTunes. If you listen on iTunes, leave us a five-star review. Leave us a written review, and we'll try to read this off on every single week's episode. Uh, uh, for the first episode review, I'm going to read off. This is five stars, and it says, Best Deer Hunting Podcast. I've It kind of fades out. can't really read the rest of it. Uh, but it's from Pleasantly Surprised Gamer. Uh, these guys know how to ask the best questions and get the very uh, most useful information out of their guests. The outros is also real information because most of the times uh, they have a great conversation that I missed or didn't connect the dots to. Awesome. All right, Mike, you're very ne- you're next with uh, July 1st. Big buck nuts. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, bragging rights. It's uh, by Big Buck Nuts. It says, all right, boys, time to D up and put your money where your mouths are. It says, who amongst you three is a better uh, hunter, woodsman, killer, and all-around outdoorsman? <coughs> Armadillo Michael Pike. <coughs> <laughs> I love the outro. It's truly uh, it's truly nothing but y'all chewing the fat and busting balls while sorting out the podcast. <laughs> the, uh, the whole scent thing got me wondering about guys in coastal areas or really dry areas and whether or not they have a slight edge. I definitely think they have a slight edge, especially like the colder, drier areas. Uh, us down here in the south where it's humid is all get out and you're sweating before you even think about going in the woods. Uh, definitely leaves us at a disadvantage. All right, wizard. Mm. Read this one, Andrew. Interesting. July 6th. What you get, bud? Uh, whoa, five stars by C. Karn. Great information. Great guess. I have a feeling the hosts get paid to say these key words. <laughs> Boots on the ground. Top hit. Probably millionaires from this one. Yeah, we have our boots on the ground <laughs> cryptocurrency <laughs> going on. Uh, you can check it out at bigblokebanners.com. <laughs> Cutovers. 
If they cash this out into crypto, there's a chance they make some big money. Transition. Slowly building steam. This could be the next big thing. (laughs) Dive deep. Fading fast as the top buzzword. Future is not looking good. <laughs> oh man, that's a great, that's a great review right there. That, my that, that's yeah. by far one of my favorites. That was fantastic. We need to send him a keychain. Yeah. If you heard that, ta- like email us. I'll send you a little leather oh, keychain. So we keep forgetting. Well, we, no, we talking about so with the giveaway and everything. We were talking about with people that get left to us. What do we say? Uh, it was like leaving us reviews, right? Yeah, but not all of them. Oh man, I don't know. We I got a, think. we got a couple, bro. I know we keep we keep forgetting to, to like actually because we said we we're gonna make a post and we didn't. I don't know. Maybe we can make it a competition. If you win the if you win the comment game, you get a keychain. <laughs> that dude won. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, by the way, if you are the uh, reviewer C Corn who left us a review, wow, five stars. Uh, please shoot us a message. We'll send you a. Leather keychain from the Southern Outdoorsman. Hook you up. All right. Next one is from, I'm not even trying to say this name. <laughs> a ba- a yeah, I thought you said you weren't going to try. Yeah. No, yeah. And this is uh, Best Hunting Podcast, five stars. Uh, if you're a bow hunter, this is the jam. Let me dive right into this review and let y'all know that the guests, the hosts, and the knowledge and content of this podcast are top notch. Well done, gents. All right, Michael Pike, hit right. it up with old Mr. Bourbon Bow Hunter. Yeah, bourbon, 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 Drink another one, bud. Drink another bourbon. Bourbon Bow Hunter. He titled his the best hunting podcast around. This is by far the best hunting podcast I've come across. Not only are they entertaining with the ramblings, the information is actually relevant to those of us who hunt in the South. All right, and last but not least. Last but not least. <laughs> Last but not least. Just past Jacob, but he crashed about halfway through this episode. Oh, no, no, no. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. But hey, this is. I love a, the title and who it's. It really, Mike should le- read this podcast episode. <laughs> read this podcast episode? Review. You know, this podcast oh episode reviews. But uh, we're going to have old, old Maxwell do it. So, All right. I'm not a spot burner. That's the title. Says spot burner. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> Love the podcast. Keep them coming. Hashtag I'm just here for the outro. Hashtag MS Buck Killer. He spelled outro A L T R O. Well, he's at outro, not alt or outro. Outro outro is that? It's with an O. Everybody. Why not? Wait, is that? Is that just us pronouncing it weird? Yeah, because it's the southern. Well, he should get that. He's that, from Mississippi. That, that, he should the, know. That's the Coors Light. That's the. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, Jacob checked out on us about halfway through. I'm just here for a good time. <laughs> I ain't here for a long time. <laughs> I'm here for a good time. <laughs> We're getting copyright laws. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, oh man. All George right. Strait going to come after us. Oh, dude. Oh, man. All right. Cool, 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 cool. So, hey, by the way, wait, where were we sitting at? Review like uh, 600 670. 670. All right. Let's get the 700, guys. Hey, listen, if you're listening to the podcast and you have not left us a review or you haven't left us a review recently, go leave us a review on iTunes. That would be fantastic. Um, and then, hey, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Again, we have a fantastic episode coming out next week. There's not going to be an outro for this week's episode because, um, hey, we're just here chit-chatting about what we kind of found so far. I'm partying. Gentlemen, old Armadillo, Michael Pike, any final thoughts? Any final statements? No, just besides I uh, can't wait for this next podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Michael, I already, I'm, I'm going to call it right now. 
There are going to be points in this podcast, this next week's episode. Michael is going to be speechless. It's going <laughs> to yeah. happen. Yeah. I call it. When, I, when me and Andrew yeah. talked about this, I'm like, Michael is going to get speechless. <laughs> I already know it's going to happen. Yeah. He's going to stutter a whole bunch because he's going to be so excited. His brain can't process it. For real, for real, that's going to happen. Y'all just, <laughs> y'all just listen. Like, y'all have already seen my outline. <laughs> oh, it's, My outline it's is like six pages long. Like, like, are we doing five episodes? It looks like a book manuscript or something. <laughs> <laughs> and it. Maxwell, what you got? Any final thoughts, questions, concerns? There's just a lot more to dig into, a lot more to come. So, cool. We'll pick it apart. Awesome, awesome. Well, again, appreciate you, everybody, listening to the podcast. Share it with a buddy. Uh, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Make sure you check out next week's episode. And, hey, while you're listening, if you are on social media, go give us a follow on Instagram. We are trying to grow that page tremendously uh, with a lot of y'all's helps. Bigly. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff going on, but uh, hey, we are probably going to post, um, I'm guessing, you know, if I can get Andrew's permission here, post a couple of these photos of some of these different maps that Andrew has made uh, from this study. No, they're for the Patreons. Oh, we're not going to do... I mean, I'll do one. Well, we're not going to do anything for the Facebook... I mean, what are we going to post our social media posts, man? We gotta have, we, Michael's big buck. No, we gotta have, <laughs> no. We, we gotta have something to do we gotta put out there. Anyways, we're gonna put something we'll, we'll put something out there. The good stuff is going to the Patreon members. All right, yeah. Patreon members. So if they want to join Patreon for like, I don't know, a dollar. Link in the description. Link in the description. Go to the description of the podcast. Check it out. Hit the link. Check it out. Also, by the way, hey, make sure you support our kind of supporters that are helping us support the show, which is of course Hunting Exchange app. Go check that out on iOS or Android. Uh, you can go check that app out and you're trying to buy and sell merchandise. What's there. that bow that Nick's selling? Uh, I kept telling him I'll give him a shout it's, out. It's a PSC. I forgot what. No, 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 it's a Hoyt, right? Oh, it is a Hoyt. Yeah. Power Max. Power. Oh, Power Strike Power Max. Something like that. Yeah, something. Uh, anyways, anyways, our buddy Nick Adair is selling a bow on there. Someone go buy it, please. Yeah, but you can ch- <laughs> check out the uh, Hunting Exchange app. Again, if you're wanting to buy and sell uh, hunting apparel and gear or anything else in regards to hunting. Uh, and then also, make sure you check out uh, Hasmore. Uh, Hasmore gear. Uh, check out their uh, Hasmore seat and everything else. If you are a climber user or any of other merchandise that they have on their website. Uh, yeah, I got again, a bunch of stuff. You know, they are supporters of the show. We appreciate you guys supporting them because that, in regard, supports us. Uh, continue to do what we're trying to do here. But other than that, guys, we appreciate y'all listening and tune in for next week's episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And hey, y'all have a great week and stay Southern. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed 
for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no-brainer. You gotta be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.